sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a Swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. All right, it's going to be AJ, Rita, and Tracy, and AJ is up first. Good morning, sir. Damn, you sound all fired up this morning, Bobby. Well, I had a pretty good week. I sneaked out of town for a couple of days and went somewhere cool and nice and hiked past mounds of snow and things like that. And, you know, give me a chance to get out and get on the trail for a few days. It uh, it just kind of restores your soul a little bit. So, yeah, yeah, here I am back. Here I am uh, adjusting to the heat. I was uh, I was shedding layers at every airport between Colorado and San Antonio when I came back Thursday. But, you know, it is, it is what it is. But, hey, you, know, you and I are the same. Every morning is a good morning. We just have to wonder what kind of situations may come our way before the day's over and uh, try Most to accept certainly. the good ones and head off the bad ones. <laughs> Most certainly. Uh, got a few things here. Can you still plant marigold seeds? Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Next thing, how much, if you're going to use perlite in soil to kind of loosen it up, what percentage would you add? Oh, boy. I don't use perlite outside. I think it's a fine mix for potting soils and things like that. But the blasted stuff floats. And, you know, it just, you think, well, that's not going to be a problem. But every time it rains, you have this big old massive amount of perlite that has just decided to float up out of the ground and uh, wind up over on the corner of your flower bed or out across the sidewalk or wherever. So if I'm looking to soften up or open up soil, I'm going to be using compost. I may be using lava sand. I think lava sand works just as well as perlite for loosening soil. Uh, It brings a lot of other things to the table, and it doesn't, you know, give you that float-away problem that perlite does. So uh, in potting soil, I would use up to 25 to 30% perlite. But um, like I say, I just I just don't do it outside because it just doesn't stay where I put it. Okay. No, I was uh, what I was alluding to, and I didn't say was in, to use in pots. Yeah. Okay. In pots, up to thirty percent. Okay. Next thing, I want to let, let me tell you one more thing, Bur- uh, AJ. Um, be sure that you get your perlite from a good source. You know, perlite wasn't invented for gardeners; it was invented to make invented to make lightweight concrete. There is perlite that comes out of Mexico that is so high in fluoride in it that it just, it it burns plant roots. So buy from, you know, one of the names, the little bags, uh, uh, golly, it's usually Fertilome or something like that, bigger bags. Just be sure you're getting some that is designed for horticulture, and uh, that way you'll avoid any contaminant problems in there. All righty. Uh, when I picked tomatoes this this week, I noticed something changed. Uh, tomatoes, whether they're under the canopy or either out in the sun, they've got a lot of light green yellow splotches all over them. What's yeah. causing that? Stink bugs. Oh, they are? Yeah, oh, you get some stink right. bugs. Get yourself some spinosad soap. But, uh, yeah, that's that's what's doing it. And when you slice them, you probably also notice there are some little hard spots underneath those uh, lighter-colored areas. 
All righty. Okay. Uh, then uh, I've got an angel trumpet I set out in the garden. I held it over the wintertime in a small pot and put it out. And it's doing real good. And mm-hmm. this week I noticed it's about knee high, and it, it droops real badly uh, around the noon hour. Is that just from the heat? Because I've been watering it, and it's drooping. And then in the mornings it's all fresh and everything. Yeah, and you're, you're just, you know, you're, you're saying exactly what I say, and that is if it's drooping in the afternoon, don't worry about it. If it's still droopy the next morning, that means it needs water. And, yes, that is pretty uh, characteristic of uh, all the angel trumpets, the uh, upright daturas and the pendulous brugmansias. Uh, but they, yeah, <laughs> when we have this kind of heat and humidity, the, the sun goes behind a cloud and the stomata that the plant literally breathes through open up really wide to increase gas exchange. And then when that sun comes back out, it, they don't, those things don't seal up. They don't close up instantly. And uh, what you end up is with the plant losing water faster than it can take it up. And it droops like mad, but it certainly doesn't mean you need to run out and water. Already, and uh, and the last one, can you plant okra in these uh, molasses tubs? Absolutely. Do you Absolutely. have to use the the deep one or the shallow one? You know, that's just that's again a water issue. Uh, the deep one makes it easier to water, but it also means you practically have to get up on a step ladder to pick your okra. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm I kid you not. You know, my okra, uh, and I don't grow the giant varieties. Uh, but my okra is already going to be six feet tall. And man, for me to raise that up, you know, two more feet off the ground. And, uh, if I'm that far off the ground, I want one hand to hang on to, but I've got my pruning shears in one hand and my bag that I'm pitching it into in the other. So I'm, I'm going to keep up for that shorter molasses tub as long as I can keep it watered. All right. Now, I don't know that I've seen you, but if you're seven feet tall, you can go ahead and use either side, either size that you like. We can hire that guy that signed on with the Pelicans. Huh? <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, about how 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 what kind of spacing would you use in that molasses tub along the edge? You'd probably want to stay in about six inches from the. You'd edge. want to stay in about six inches, and your plants you'd want them six to eight inches apart. Okay, o- okra All seeds right. pretty cheap. I'd plant the seed maybe three inches apart, and then go through and thin out the weaker plants when they're up All with right. two or three sets okay. of leaves. All righty. Well, Bob, I do thank you. I'm going to let somebody else make you mad this morning. I didn't. (laughs) It takes a lot, A.J., and I don't allow politicians to call me. So, you know, other than that, I I can put up with the dog catchers more more (laughs) than I can put up with some of those fools out there. But we made it through. We made it through another legislative session with only minor damage. And I really, really, really doesn't affect you guys in Victoria. But the governor vetoed what would have been a very bad bill for a lot of us here. So... Yeah, I just, you know, I can't think of a lot to complain about these days. So uh, we just uh, we'll just deal with the situations as they arise. Okay, Bob, I do. Thank you. It's always a pleasure, AJ. You have All a great right. weekend. Happy you summer. Too. Thank you. Bye. Bye. All right, it's Rita's turn now. Rita, let me do one thing real quickly here. There we go now. Okay, good morning, Rita. Good morning, Bob. I hope I never make you mad. <laughs> I it, it it takes a lot. I don't yeah. get mad very often, and you don't want to I see know. me when I do because <laughs> anyway. I know. But I know. I'm the same way. Yep. Yeah. 
Yeah, but usually doesn't end well for somebody else. But <laughs> considering that's a once-every-few-years thing that happens, uh, life's pretty good. Oh, great. Well, I knew you were out of town because um, I called in a 911 for you. Oh, okay. And, uh, yeah, and they spilled the beans. But um, anyway, three questions this morning, and I'll try to be quick. Okay. I, I have an orchid or had an orchid, um, hopefully I've taken care of it, that I diagnosed with black rot. Okay. So I got my book out, and I, I cut the black out with uh, clean edges, giving clean edges like mm-hmm. a biopsy. And it, it gave me three options to, to control it, hydrogen per, uh, peroxide, okay. cinnamon, or copper sulfate. So I got the copper sulfate. So when I got it home um, and read the directions and everything, you were already off the air, so I was on my own. It gave no direction for orchids on mm-hmm. this container by Bonide, B-O-N? Bonide, yeah. Bonide. So I never got, I never called the company this week. It's been a crazy week. So I did a teaspoon per quart. Mm-hmm. Is that about right uh, for direction, or did I do wrong? Or No, that's probably okay. I'm not a big copper sulfate fan. It's okay. a, uh, Copper can be very toxic if you get too much of it on there, plus it's very, very poisonous. And oh, no, you okay. sure do want to keep your uh, keep your pets away from it. Okay, um, now this was on, and it was on a cattleya, because I mm-hmm. read on the net, or in the book, not to use them on dendrobiums. Right. Um, it's, you know, it's one of those things I probably would have opted for sulfur, uh, not sulfur, for a cinnamon, uh, works really well. In fact, a combination of, uh, you know, treating the wound with peroxide and then following up with cinnamon probably would have been my choice. Now, one thing that I will tell you, um, a lot of times when we get into really hot weather, if you're, um, and, and I apologize to all you non-orchid growers out there, if your hybrid has a lot of sophronitis uh, soft, in it, uh, if it's an SLC or if it's a potnaro, which means that it's four different genera combined, those things are not very heat tolerant. And a lot of times the new growth will start to come out and it will just turn black. And it looks, for all intents and purposes, like bacterial rot. And all that is is that plant telling you, hey, I'm not a South Texas orchid. I'm one of these guys that should be growing a little bit further up north. And I always, when something, because I've seen that, I've got about 200 Cattleya seedlings uh, from uh, somebody in Florida earlier this year stocking my new greenhouse, so to speak. Ooh. And I've had half a dozen of those, but it's always the SLCs, the uh, Sophralalia Cattleyas, and the Potnaras. Those are the ones that always seem to show up. And um, so be, you, you may not be dealing with a problem of a pathogen. You may just be dealing with a heat problem. So uh, the other thing I would do is move those plants to the cooler part of the greenhouse. If you have a wet wall, get them up close to it. If not, get them closer to an open window. Get them into a cooler area, and my bet is they're going to do a lot better for you. It may not be black rot at all. Well, actually, it's probably my, it was my cultural thing earlier this year okay you know uh hannah's right on it with with all the storms yes um, actually it's maya but hannah doesn't like him either (laughs) oh okay okay neither does annie may brown but um what was i going to say 
Okay, so with the hydrogen, it it didn't explain that. Do I just mm-hmm. spray the the cut with straight, pro, uh, you know, dab it on? You can dab it on straight, and in a, a, if it is a, a situation with a pathogen, I probably would. For okay, general okay. use, I dilute it two to one with water. Two to one, okay, two to one. And as far as the cinnamon, now does it just, actually just goes on the plant itself, not just, the roots? No, just on the plant itself. Just, just dust it all over the wound. Okay, okay. Um, okay, so that's that. Well, see, in this orchid, I was so proud of myself. It was starting to go down. Uh-huh. And I thought, well, I'm going to try to do, I'm going to try to save it. And actually, it started doing the root thing, you know. Mm-hmm. And so it looks like a brand new orchid coming yeah. around. So well, do move it. Do move it. it to the coolest spot you possibly okay. can because... Uh, Considering that it, this problem showed up right at the time that the greenhouse started getting a lot hotter than it has for several months, uh, makes me very suspicious that heat may okay. also be part of the cause. Okay. Now, last two questions real quick. I bought a Kufia Pink Splash. Okay. It almost acts like a, an annual uh-huh. Kufia. It's not happy. I don't know if it's, it's getting some morning sun. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's too wet, but it's... Um, if what the snails aren't eating, uh, it's like the leaves are just trying to get crispy. Um, I've had whole stems turn brown. So is it, what does it want? It does is it- probably a water issue of some sort. And like AJ was bringing up on some other things, just because the plant wilts does not mean it needs water. It means that it's water stressed, but it may be completely moistened and uh like i say always remember if it's droopy in the afternoon don't worry about it if it's still droopy the next morning water it um i do not know that particular kufia um it's such a big genus of plants with everything from bat face to mexican heather to david verity to the Uh you know big cigar plants Uh but in general most of them uh would like at least half a day of sun they need perfect drainage uh, they don't ever want to stay soggy wet, but they don't ever want to get bone dry. So my suspicion is a water issue. Okay. Uh, you're a good gardener of many, many years, so you know the importance of watering thoroughly, and that's especially true of kufias. But um, uh, I would, uh, you know, I'd probably hit it with a little Super Thrive or Garrett Juice or something like that. I think you've got a root issue going on. I think mm-hmm. the plant just doesn't have a real good root system at this point. It's kind of down... Uh, from a large coleus that's in the ground, mm-hmm. and um, of course it's mulched real good. I think he's probably too wet. Yeah, you know. that would be that would be very likely. Okay, okay. last quick question, um, gardenia. It was just gorgeous. It's in a pot. Mm-hmm. Uh, peat moss, uh, water with rainwater has to grow. I mean, spoiled after the huge storm Monday night. Of course, somebody. Probably wasn't in town to enjoy it. Actually, Sunday oh. night was a pretty good storm. Monday, okay. yeah, I happened yeah. to have been a thousand miles away by uh, Monday night. Yeah, it poured the next day or two. It just is drooping like I'm mm-hmm. going to lose it. It's a, obviously a root issue again. Too wet. Or? I suspect too wet. Yeah, is stay away from that peat moss. Any way to save it? I, I would I would be giving it a foliar treatment at least weekly with Super Thrive. I would okay. be when it does need water. I would be adding some Super Thrive to that. Okay. Um, it's in a container. 
Yes, and I meant to say compost, not peat moss. Okay, very good. Yeah, just um, if we have more heavy rain forecast or likely, Mm -hmm. I'd probably drag it into an area where it's not going to get deluge. I I had good rain in the hill country this morning. Oh, I bet you did. Yes, and and Maya told me it was coming about through about 2 a.m. actually, so... uh, It uh, Yeah, we used to have a, a weather app called MyCast. Well, since my puppy dog's named Maya, M-A-Y-A, we call it MayaCast because she, she, she gives a better weather forecast than anybody on the, on the web. But, uh, no, I, uh, you know, it, it's almost certainly going to perk up, but give it some foliar attention. Don't okay. be wetting that soil until it's, uh, right. until it's dry to the proper point. Okay, well, real quick then. I know it's not the animal show. What kind of puppy? Oh, no, no, no. They're both, uh, I call them puppies because labs are puppies their whole lives. Okay, yeah, but, I'm that way too. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, these are these are two mature black labs. That, oh, okay, uh, I didn't know you had the other lab. Well, okay. she suddenly, her golden retriever, we call her sister, but her, her uh-huh. roommate of many years, the golden retriever, exactly. decided she didn't like her anymore, so oh. she came to live with me, and everybody's uh-huh. very happy. Good, good, good. Rita, I'll let you go, and you I'll have a wonderful go. weekend. Thank you. You too, Bob. <laughs> Thank <Yeah>. you. <laughs> Bye. All right, uh, Tracy's next. Good morning, Tracy. Good morning. How are you today? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you. Um, I have three, actually four questions, but I'm pretty sure they're pretty quick. Okay. The first one is about, I want to plant a peach tree. I guess I need two of them. And I'm in the Leon Springs area, and Uh I was wondering if you could tell me some good peaches for my area okay it's uh what you need to match is the chilling hours for your for your area leon springs i'm going to be looking for a peach that's between five and six hundred chilling hours maybe as high as 650 some names to look for sam houston will be a good mm-hmm. big uh juicy yellow peach for you uh john fanick will be a very good peach for you those are probably going to be my two top choices. If I were going to plant two peach trees in Leon Springs, I would uh, I would plant a, a John Fanick and a Sam Houston. Uh, if you want to add one more, look at June Gold. June Gold is a clingstone peach, but it is a really tasty peach. Um, if you want a fourth choice, there's a peach out there called Melba, which is a white meated peach. They sometimes call it a honey peach because it is so sweet. And uh, it's one of them you're pushing it. I think I think it's uh, somewhere between 650 and 700 hours. But uh, it would still be a possibility for you there. So uh, Sam Houston, um, uh, John Fanick, June Gold, Melba, those are my top four choices. Okay. And then the second question is cut flowers. Do you have any, um, can you give me some recommendations for this time of year for cut flowers? Uh, probably your best bets are going to be zinnias, the taller growing zinnias, especially the dreamlands. Uh, marigolds will make a very good cut flower this time of year. Um, if you will spray them with garlic, keep the thrips off. Uh, gladiolus will make a, of course, an outstanding cut flower throughout the warm months. Um, let's see, uh, some of the cosmos. Uh, could be used as cut flowers this time of year. Um, that's, uh, golly, that's, that, those are most of the ones that just pop into my mind. If you okay. grow the dwarf dahlias, not the big dahlias, too hot for them, but the little dwarf dahlias, uh, those will make pretty good cut, cut flowers for you as well. Okay. 
Um, also on roses, um, I'm looking for the cut single stem type roses uh-huh. and also for the same area. Ah, look at uh, Belinda's Dream. Look at Mr. Lincoln. Um, those are two that bloom well in the heat and hold their color very well. Those would probably be my top two choices. Now, uh, in your little Florabunda type roses, uh, uh, the the fellow Mike Shoup at the Antique Rose Emporium bred a series that they call the Pioneer Roses, and uh, Mm -hmm. they are excellent roses. Uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the one that I like best, uh, uh, and I'll think of it in a second. But any of those roses where you're looking for more of a, a Floribunda type rose, but for single stem roses, Oklahoma, Mr. Lincoln, uh, Belinda's Dream, those are going to be some of my top choices there. And remember, if okay. you're going to make cut roses out of them, you're going to have to do some disbudding, just as you do in mums and things like that. If what does you, that mean? That means that if your stem's coming up and it's got two little lateral buds and one out on the end, you cut off the two on the side so that the the single bud that is left is bigger and the stem is stronger. Oh, okay. Good. That's really good information. Yeah, it takes one a little very last, Okay. One, one last really quick question is on the plumeria. Is it deer resistant? Um, resistant may be deer proof. Absolutely not. Um, it okay. doesn't taste good to them. And the plumeria, as you know, is a pretty fragile plant, easily broken. And the deer break it up as much as they do eat it because the deer can't take a bite of something. It has to mm-hmm. grab it and rip it to take a leaf off to taste it. And uh, they they don't like them, but they may bust them up a little bit, figuring out that they don't like them. So I'd keep it okay, as deer proof as possible. Okay, thank you so much, and have a wonderful day. You do the same, Tracy. Always good to talk to you. I thank will. you. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Uh-huh. All right, well, let's get back to these phone lines and say good morning, Joyce. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. Did Hannah and Maya get to go to Doggy Spa while you were uh, going? Yeah, Hannah and Maya went next door to Kara's Canine Retreat, and... Uh, uh, it's just so funny. I, when, when I am going to be out of town, I'll say, Hannah, you want to go to Kara's? And she'll start dragging me over there. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's fun to, fun to see the puppies so happy. So yes, they got a little spa time and, uh, Maxwell got to visit with, uh, Dr. Kirby and he enjoys that. So all the animals enjoy being out of town as much as I did. <laughs> well, uh, I know you know this, but the Lord gave you two hands so that you can pet two puppies at the same time. Yes, and Max can sit on your lap and purr while you're doing that, and maybe clean Hannah's face for her at the same time. <laughs> uh, I tell you what, I have two questions for you, but I guess my main my main thing is, when you get back to the nursery, would you please tell someone... Uh, you mentioned some time back that you had the names of a couple of folks who could take down a tree if that's all you needed, right. but they don't know who that is. <laughs> oh, they should. Um, no, that, and I can call the nursery. Yeah, no, I don't mind telling you. For just removal work, uh, there's a company out there called Tree Wise, Tree Wise Men uh, that do a great job of re- removal. I caught their guys one time recently trimming oak trees without, you know, painting wounds and things like that. So uh, 
Uh, I still recommend Edder Tree Care if it's true arborist work. But if you're looking for somebody to do a nice job of just getting a tree out of there, uh, his name is Jordy Hagen, and the company name is Tree Wise Men. Okay. No, that's fine. No, I have an old pecan tree. It's been dead for years, mm-hmm. Most, and I just left it. Most of the big limb, everything had fallen off, so it wasn't causing any kind of a problem. Right. And when I walked out Monday, it has rotted off at the base, and it's now at a not quite a 45-degree angle uh, being held up by a <laughs> trash tree. <laughs> Sounds like it's time for somebody to get it out of there for you, Joyce. That's right. I, I'm, it, because it's a pecan stem, it's pretty nice. So I'm just going to have them lay them down. I have room for it, but I sure. need somebody who can do that. Yeah. Well, okay. these guys are bonded and insured. And uh, like I say, I um, just for removal, they're top of my list. Okay. Thank you. That's all I need there. Uh, I have a question about an agapantha. Uh, I had a pot of them several years ago and nearly lost it in one of the big freezes a year mm-hmm. or so ago. But I nursed it kind of back to health. It hasn't bloomed, but I have a nice plant going, and I want to put it in the yard. And I remember you talked about Dr. Weiss having them in solid sun. It, yeah. I don't have solid sun, but I need to put them in the most sun. The sunniest spots you can have. They will grow in the shade, but they will not bloom well. But agapanthus, you give it enough sun, it'll be just fine. Okay, that takes care of that. The next question is going to kind of make you cringe, I think. (laughs) (laughs) But I have an old crepe myrtle that was planted many, many years ago right at the corner of the house, so it's constantly growing under the roof, and it's been hacked and hacked and hacked, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, and keeps coming back. Actually, the place would be great for a crepe myrtle shrub and mm-hmm. what i wanted to try at least i don't know if it'll work is at some point and i guess that's the question at what point do i cut it back to the ground or close or however close to try to see if it'll come out as a shrub and keep it as a crepe myrtle shrub well if you want to try that of course the very best time to do that is very early spring i thought so okay. yeah yeah early february would be when i would do it if it doesn't work out well, there are some compact uh, crepe myrtles that never get over four or five feet tall that uh, you could replace it with that you wouldn't have to be worrying about this heavy-duty pruning on it. So just keep that in the back of your mind. That uh, uh, And a lot of the newer hybrids tend to start blooming earlier and produce more dependably. So if you uh, if you don't have any you know emotional attachment to this plant, uh, you may want to think about just putting in one of the more compact varieties that uh, will look after itself as far as the pruning goes. Yes, that's the case. And no, there there isn't. And I certainly knew I could do that. But the reason I was asking about, oh, how far, I'm going to give it a shot at this cutting sure. it back just to see what happens. Well, just to keep it below the eaves, I uh, think would you're... Would you actually take it like six inches or what would you do next? I'd, to... I'd go down to about two feet. Okay. Okay. The reason I even considered that is some years ago, I, in a parking lot, saw this gorgeous white blooming hedge. Mm -hmm. And when I went and looked at it, it was a crepe myrtle. And I was just, I mean, a group of them. And it formed this gorgeous hedge. And the folks at the business actually knew. And they said, oh, whenever they get too big, we just cut them down to the ground and make it into a shrub. And so uh, I thought, gee whiz, I kind of didn't know that could be done. Well, it works better where you have good soil. But Uh (laughs) 
<laughs> and that's not much of anywhere except the far southeast side of San Antonio or maybe far southwest side. But uh, it certainly can be done. I would give them some extra iron, some magic sand or something. And I would give them some extra fertilizer so the growth that comes out is healthy. But uh, you can certainly reduce the size substantially. Well, and I mean, without pruning, I mean, obviously nothing was done to keep them that short. And it just looked like a big spray of right. flowers. Right, right. Okay. All righty. Well, I'll, I'll think about that. Okay. Well, uh, glad you had a nice trip. Glad you're back. And thank you very, very much. Well, it's always a pleasure. And you have a good weekend. And I uh, know we'll talk again soon. And I will go ahead and talk to Ed. Good morning, Ed. Good morning. Morning, sir. I'm glad you came back to help us. Well, I only just took a couple of days off. This wasn't any real vacation. It was just had an opportunity to run up and see some folks that had an extra bedroom and uh, get a little hiking in in the Rockies at the same time. So I'd try not to pass up an opportunity like that. Oh, well, I know what you mean. I I've never had a vacation that was longer than a couple or three days. <laughs> and sometimes that's good, but I, you know, even if it's a quick trip, it's always good to get back home. Oh yeah, well, and I'm always worrying about what all my stuff that's back home, uh, animals and plants and stuff. Um, I have one of the lost maples. Yeah. I'm not sure what exactly the species is. Yeah, they call it big, big tooth maple. That, uh, and it has produced seed, mm -hmm. and. Uh, I'm not sure when, you know, I've looked up some uh, uh, reference books, and they say to plant the seed when it's ripe, but they also say that sometimes it's ripe, you know, some species are ripe in the spring and some are in, ripe in the fall. And right now my Samaras are, the blade part of them are brown, but the, uh, you know, the little seed part of it mm -hmm. looks like it's still pretty green. So when would be the best time to plant that? When it separates easily from the tree. You know, if you've ever watched the seeds fall, they're like little helicopter thing is how they spin down with that blade on them. Uh, right. If you can go out and shake a limb and the seed starts to fall, then it's ripe and ready to plant. Now, I will tell you, maple seed is difficult to germinate. And I uh, used to have a fellow with the highway department that would... Uh, uh, call me that went out and, you know, collected large amounts of seed and tried everything the experts say to do and still had trouble germinating it. So, um, I tell you, you might, there is a, uh, there is a nursery, super nice people up in, uh, Medina, Texas, I believe. And I, I think it's still called Love Creek Orchards. Call up there and talk to them, and they will share their secrets. You're not going to go into business to compete with them. But uh, call Love Creek, or um, uh, there may be a couple of others up there. Uh, and what you're looking at is a big-tooth maple. And ask them if they have any suggestions on getting the seed to germinate, because I know a, a lot of people have had trouble. I'm going to make a note on my log uh, uh, to uh, ask Howard Garrett if he knows any special secrets about germinating maple seed but I, I know it's i know it can be difficult it's not something that i've ever tried germinating but uh i think um uh, i i would ask an expert before i put a lot of uh effort into it well i've read several references on it and yeah. one of the problems is that you know it's a general thing that they talk about all maples yeah and Sometimes that's the whole they, problem they're real easy to germinate and and but other species are really hard so yeah. 
and they they talk about all the northern maple varieties and most of these websites never even consider that we do have a maple that does well in this part of texas so yeah some of them talk about uh, stratifying they call it others talk about acid treatment on the seed and um is you know a simple phone call can probably get you through to somebody that's done plenty of it and it's sure worth doing okay that's good that's good information um how do you pronounce the the tree jujube or jujube? Jujube, jujube is what me, most people say. It's more of a shrubby plant than a real tree, but yeah, jujube. Do the deer eat those? It is not their first choice, but if they're hungry, um, yes, they will. Uh, but uh, you know, a year like this, unless you're in an area just overpopulated with deer, the deer are not being real bad on ornamental plants right now because there is so much natural browse for them. But right. give us a dry year, and I'm afraid they will go after your jujubes. Okay. Now let let me ask you one other question. Um, I'm trying to find. I have a book that's called it's uh, about the. Uh, uh, different range plants in north central texas Mm -hmm. and they give quite a bit of really good information but one of the things i'm looking for is something where i can look up the palatability and the toxicology of uh just common plants Uh i know the deer eat you know like all the ajugas and and uh and uh, uh and stuff like that and they're not toxic or anything as far as I can tell, but I'd like to look stuff up ahead of time before I plant it and find out whether, you know, it's going to be something that's going to be a problem or not. <laughs> well, uh, I'll, I'll tell you one of the best sources, and even it's not a real good source, but Texas Parks and Wildlife, uh, they've got some real good thing, uh, some good brochures and things uh, that will give you an idea uh, in fact, you can call, just ask for one of their non-game biologists. They have a bunch of different publications. I imagine they would be happy to send you. But here's the problem. It's almost like deer have their own little ethnic groups that have different tastes. Because I live west of Bernie. My business partner lives north of Bergheim. One of her managers lives uh Leon Springs area. They eat things in my landscape they don't touch in either the other people's yards. Uh, They eat things in Donna's yard that they don't touch in my yard. Uh, They eat things in Roberta's yard that they don't touch in either of our other yards. So there is no foolproof list. I will tell you that plants are more deer-resistant when they're grown with natural fertilizers and things because it allows them, well, it doesn't put that real soft, fast, succulent growth on them. Uh, when you go out and, you know, I, so many people have, you know, noted that you go out and buy a plant at the nursery and the deer just devastated. But after it's been in the ground about a month under organic care, they stop touching it. So um, part of it will be in your culture, but part of it is just hard to figure out. It's just the blasted deer and, you know, southern Kendall County don't eat things that the ones in the northern Kendall County do and vice versa. So don't be completely trusting of any lists. Well, I, I understand that, and, and I was looking more along the lines of if I plant something that's a common, not a native, but a mm-hmm. common uh, flower or, or you know, shrub, uh, I'm worried about whether the livestock eat it, if it'll be a problem. There are very few things that are going to be a problem. The detritus, the brugmansias, I would stay away from. Uh, right. Those are, you know, quite toxic 
But uh, cattle, even as dumb as a cow is, they have some sense about most things. I mean, they don't eat the mountain laurels. Mountain laurels are somewhat toxic, and they never touch them. And um, uh, same thing's true of many plants in the holly family, the ilex uh, genus. But uh, of the of the things that may really cause problems, uh, and, and are we talking cattle or horses or both? Cattle. Yeah. Uh, other than the Datures and Brugmansias, um, I, there's not a lot that I know will bother them. I know whorehound will bother horses, but, uh, again, just a call to, uh, to Parks and Wildlife there, for the most part, they're just super, super nice people, and they can be extremely helpful to you. And the fact that, you know, we're paying their salaries through our taxes, uh, I don't have any, any hesitation to ask for help when I need it. I, I agree with that. Uh, it's, do you know if A&M has any sort of, uh, you know, department or anything like that, that that would have that kind of information? I'll tell you the truth. Most of the A&M people that I know and many of their publications, uh, they're written by people that sit in their offices, not people that are out working in the field. And uh, I would trust Parks and Wildlife a lot more than I trust A&M. Okay, I know exactly what you mean. I've done a lot of work with the government agency. <laughs> <laughs> Armchair quarterbacks or whatever you want to call them. Uh, it's, uh, what is it, uh, I think it was all the way back in Roosevelt's day, Franklin Roosevelt's day, he said, it's easy to be a farmer when your plow is a pen and the nearest uh, corn field is a thousand miles away. Um, yeah, you got to get out and get hands on to really know this stuff. And, uh, it's why I so do appreciate my friends at Parks and Wildlife. Okay. Let me, let me, I, I may have asked you this before, but, uh, I've forgotten what you told me or I, maybe, maybe I didn't, you know, understand it or something. Uh, I've got some cedar piles. Some of them are very old. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I, 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 you know, I'm constantly cutting cedar, but, I have piles that other people cut that are, you know, six or eight or ten years old, and I still, uh, it just seems to be a dead zone around the pile, and I've thrown seed in and different things trying to get, you know, something to grow, Mm -hmm. and I haven't had any luck with that. Is there, you know, is there some sort of treatment that I can do that will, you know, sort of clean that soil up and... And, and try to get something to grow in the. Do you? I mean, in some cases, it's just one big tree that's laying on its side, mm-hmm. but then, you know, it's just bare soil all underneath where the leaves of the tree were. Yeah, it's, it's more a lack of light in those areas. Um, there is nothing, and we call it alleliopathic, there's nothing in cedar that's toxic to plants. But things don't grow around them as well because their leaves are structured to catch the moisture. And right. uh, they just create so much shade. But, uh, yeah, I've seen the same thing. And I think it's, you know, as those leaves fall off of the limbs and pile up, they tend to uh, shed water that allow water into the soil. Uh, I would just, you know, kind of break it up a little bit. If um, if I was going to add anything, I'd throw some lava sand out there. But more than anything, I'd run a disc hair over it or um, just something just to break that soil to the point that the moisture gets into it, and then it'll grow plants like mad. Okay, well, these trees are, like I say, they're, in many cases, they're really old. There's no leaves or anything mm-hmm. left. It's just bare stems. Uh, the sunlight penetrates. You know, uh, in most places, 
the sunlight penetrates very well, but it's almost like somebody sprayed something on there. That it's you know, it's more just the collection of all the old leaves down there have more or less waterproofed the surface of the soil. You break that up to where you can get moisture into the soil. I think you'll find things grow real well. Okay, and is there anything like molasses or something that would help that? Uh, oh, molasses always helps. Molasses helps everything. Okay, and when you say, you know, I, I, I've used molasses, but I also uh, have various ways of, of acquiring all sorts of sugar products. Mm-hmm. And uh, will they pretty much do the same thing? Or Anything sugary is going to stimulate bacteria, which is a good thing. Molasses brings a number of different trace elements, micronutrients we're supposed to call them these days. So molasses is at the top of the list of the sugary stuff, but old Coca-Cola, old anything that actually has natural sugars in it, uh, will stimulate the bacteria out there, which will go a long way toward accomplishing what you're doing. Okay. Figure about an ounce per gallon. All right. I'll try some of that. All right. I appreciate your help. Always a pleasure, Ed. Thanks for the call this morning. And good morning, Pat. Good morning, Bob. Thank you. Thank you for taking my call. I hear Chris was pulling. Happy voice. (laughs) I hear Chris was pulling your leg about. (laughs) Always not taking questions on that. Oh, yeah. (laughs) But you know him. (laughs) But it's great to have someone like that. I have these plumerias. I have two good questions. Plumerias, they are so tall. I know it's supposed to chop. Mm-hmm. Like 10 to 12 feet, I have them hanging. I have them leaning against an old swing set. Okay. Fall down. They're blooming way at the top, but I've got to take a step letter to see how they really look. So uh-huh. when is the best time to cut it? What would you do? Cut it so that I could make them smaller? Would it be a good time now? I know I will well, it you won't hurt the plants doing it now, but you sacrifice a lot of flowers. Um, I like if they need to be pruned down, I like to do it early in the spring when, you know, when it really first starts warming up, first of March, middle of March, and that way the new growth that comes out uh, into the spring and summer months will bloom for you. You certainly won't hurt them, and the cuttings will be very easy to root at this time of year, but, uh, and maybe you feel like you don't have anything to lose, so the flowers because the flowers are so high up you can't appreciate them you can still smell them and of course very few things are as pleasantly fragrant as plumeria so if you if you want to cut them now you can but you're pretty much sacrificing a lot of the blooms that you would be getting through the rest of the summer uh sounds like they're so big they can be a challenge to get through the winter with so if you want to cut them go ahead but if you want to pick the very best time to do it it would be when you first bring them out in the spring yeah, I know my husband always says you take half the garage, now three-fourths of the garage when you lay them down because they're so long. <laughs> well, tell them to build and you a bigger garage. Uh, I want a greenhouse like you have. Oh, well, that would work. Those are my, that, it works. But anyway, I have, a, my biggest problem is, uh, first of all, magic sand under a burr oak would make the grass, uh, the yellowing of the grass better. Am I correct? Could Most I? definitely. Now, there, there are okay. three things that cause grass to yellow. One is lack of iron, one is lack of nitrogen, and then sometimes it's a water issue. But uh, the uh, magic sand will go a long way uh, in most cases to get that grass much greener. But if I use Grow and Green, and so the magic sand, I was just going to add that, and I would just 
wondering. I think they're good together because Growing Green already has some iron in it, uh, but there's no negative interaction. And uh, I do that in my vegetable garden. I'll use Growing Green where I'm going to plant something. But if it's something like my black-eyed peas that I occasionally have a yellowing problem with, then I'll go ahead and add the magic sand to it. My gosh, I've got the darkest, greenest, most beautiful black eyes I've ever grown when I use that combination. That is good. That is it. I've done that uh, last couple of years uh, with the magic sand, and it's awesome. I thank you for that advice. Well, what, you, what do you iron? We should put something more on that thing on the yard, some kind of an iron. No, uh, that's what magic no. sand is. Magic sand is a natural is. iron product, iron. but don't go with ironite and some <laughs> of these uh, chemical formulations. Oh, no. If you're using magic sand when growing green, you're doing everything you need to do. Okay, my my, my biggest problem is my backyard. I have I had St. Augustine grass last uh, fall. I put a real some compost on it, just uh-huh. a little bit of compost with the growing green. My yard died. I have no sign. But as of St. Augustine, just the runners, all the tops died. And this spring now, I have nothing but clover. The clover, the the soil is soft, so you can just pull the clover. But my gosh, I've got clover galore. What do you suggest? I just have runners of St. Augustine under the clover. What do I do? Do I kill the whole thing up and replant? No, I would mow it. I would mow that clover down as low as you can, and I would probably, how long has it been since you fertilized? Oh, my gosh, I fertilized in the, uh, maybe about a month ago. Okay, then you're in good shape. I, I I would just mow the clover down. I'd set your... Um, lawnmower at about the second uh, from the lowest setting, maybe the third from the lowest setting, so you get some sunlight down to those runners of St. Augustine so they can grow and spread. But all I'd be doing is mowing a little bit uh, lower, and when we don't get rain, I'd be giving it a good thorough soaking once a week, and I think it'll come back quickly. Okay, if I pull any of that ridiculous clover, since it's so easy to pull, uh, am I just making it grow faster because i'm no. not getting all the roots no you're just no. uh <laughs> you're just exercising your back and if your back needs some exercise go ahead but uh you're not gaining a lot on it i think mowing covers a much bigger area in a much shorter period of time but uh if you've got the time and energy and want to pull go for it you're loosening the soil up a bit as you rip that stuff out anyway would you put some good soil on top of nope. it since some of the runners are... No, nope. if you bring in soil, you bring in weeds. And clover's one of the no, weeds. No, no, I don't mean soil. I mean good... Well, I don't want to go to the place again to get any compost, but just some good, uh, like, organic uh, uh, soil. I wouldn't do it this time okay. of year. It's too hot. If when, you want to do some of that in the fall, that's fine. But uh, right now, all I'd be doing is mowing and watering, and in a couple of months, i give it some more fertilizer. Okay, I thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, and uh, thanks a lot for the uh, suggestion about the vacuum cleaner when you have bugs on tomatoes. <laughs> oh, I'm having a great time. Thanks. You're sure welcome. Thank you, Pat. Appreciate the call. All right, let's get back to gardening. It's going to be uh, Brenda and Abel and Mike and Jerry, and Brenda's up first. Good morning, Brenda. Uh, good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Thanks for calling. Three. Thank you. I have three quick questions. One is what recommendation you would have for a fast-growing tree 
Um, it'll be horse and direct light all the time. Um, we want a tree for our front yard, so uh-huh. we still want to be able to grow grass. <laughs> I mean, we have nice grass now, but we just don't have any shade in the front, and so our grass um, is very delicate. It burns easy because there is absolutely no shade in the front. Okay. What would you recommend? Okay, and you you just want a medium size. Do you care whether it's an evergreen or deciduous tree? Um. Well, it doesn't matter. I guess whatever you think would be best. I, I just want to be able to keep my grass okay. there, and I don't want it like too terribly large because it is, it, you know, in the front. Okay, I would be looking at what they call a Monterey, as in Mexico or California, Monterey oak. Um, okay. They call it a Mexican live oak, uh, but it is not susceptible to oak wilt. Moderately okay. fast growing and moderate in size uh, as a mature tree. I I think it's an excellent tree for this area. A second choice okay. would be what we call cedar elm, and okay. for for reasonably kind of medium sized trees, those would be my two top choices. If you wanted a bigger tree and a very fast growing tree, I'd tell you Mexican sycamore. But those things turn into monstrous period of time. So if I were looking for a tree that's going to be good for the next 100 years, I would look at uh, Monterey Oak, also known as Mexican Live Oak, or Cedar Elm would probably be my top two choices. Okay, thank you. And then I also have two others. One, the other question, I have hanging baskets, uh, one hanging from my balcony and another hanging from my front porch. And I have just such a hard time because it gets pretty much direct sun almost all the time. Mm -hmm. What plant would you recommend um, that would grow in hanging pots? Because I tend to kill them all the time. My my top two choices would be bougainvillea, which loves the hot sun. Just be sure you get what we call a day-neutral variety that blooms all the time. And purslane. Um, Can you spell that one? Yeah, P-U-R-S. P-U-R-S. L-A-N-E. Okay. Just like and there are okay. some incredible new varieties out there. The only disadvantage to purslane is that the blooms close at night. They reopen the next morning, but uh, I, I say they're not the working person's flower because they're closed when I go to work in the morning, and then they're closed if you get home late. But for something, so they kind of like like four o'clock. I remember. No, they they, they stay open totally much different. much longer oh. than four o'clock. But they are oh, okay. spectacular. They are a succulent plant. If you forget to water them, they will forgive you, and uh, they'll be <laughs> one of the prettiest flowering plants. And you have lots of choices of colors, and uh, oh, there's some new striped ones out there that are incredible. So check out Purslane. Check out Bougainvilleas. Those are two that just uh, love the sun. Oh, great. And I, sh- I assume you have plenty of the purse line there at your at your nursery. <laughs> we do. Uh, one okay. other one that you could consider would be the vinca or the periwinkle. Uh, it oh, also makes a beautiful okay. hanging basket. Not quite as forgiving if it gets too dry. But uh, uh, I better go with the purse line because <laughs> I'm, I need that. I need you that you won't regret it. <laughs> And I, the last question I have is, we are just having a terrible time with mosquitoes in our backyard. We have no open water sources other than every day we change the dog's water. I would always keep water out for them, but I change it every day. And we just, of course, we have a lot of, you know, awful grass and trees around, um, but it's just so many mosquitoes. Is there anything natural one can use? I mean, I know, you know, I have a citronella candle, but I mean, just something to... What do you recommend? What do you do? There's nothing you can put on the yard or something. Well, the the cedar products uh, work for a while. The garlic products work for a while. There's a product we like called Dr. T's that is uh, garlic soaked into, I imagine it's zeolite kitty litter. 
that you can sprinkle oh. around a seating area. We use it in our seminar area at the nursery and things okay. like that, and it works for up to a month. But the uh, oh, problem is, yeah, mosquitoes fly up to a mile, so if your neighbors are not as diligent as you. <laughs> and one of the places that I find is probably the most common place for mosquitoes to breed is where people don't even think about, and that is if you have gutters on your home. Uh, because you'll get a few leaves, yeah. it'll back okay. up, and when we get a rain, you'll just have a few little places where the water collects for a few days. It only takes a few days to hatch a ton of mosquitoes. So uh, if you have gutters on your home, you might look at having uh, those cleaned out by somebody that can get up on a ladder, whether it's your teenage son or, you know, or a professional. Right. But uh, clean your gutters, that's one of the, I find that's one of the places that mosquitoes frequently come from. Okay, and I change the dog's water every day, but I notice sometimes I think there's some that get in there. Is there anything? I know one, a long time ago I thought I heard you say something you could put in the water, but it wouldn't hurt the animals. Of course, my dogs would probably eat it. But well, there yeah, there, there's some granules. Anything that contains what we call BTI, Bacillus thuringiensis israeliensis, is a bacteria that, uh, that you know, kills mosquito larvae without harming other things. Uh, a, mm-hmm. Just a drop of orange oil will kill okay. mosquito larvae but if you're changing that water every day or two uh you should not have an okay. issue yeah you okay. it, it takes about four days normally for the mosquitoes to go from egg to adult and if you're changing yeah, every no, two days change it yeah okay i don't think you need All to worry right. about anything else well thank you so much i appreciate the information thank you it's my Enjoy pleasure and thank, thank you, you so Bye-bye. much <laughs> goodbye Bye-bye. all right abel's up next good morning abel Good morning, Mr. Webster. How are you this morning? Well, Mr. Webster is my father, and I'm Bob, but I'm doing very well. Thank you. <laughs> okay, Bob. Well, thank you. A um, couple of quick questions. Uh, I have a fig tree. I fertilized it a couple of months ago, got it mulched, got it watered. Uh, the figs are coming out in different sizes, of course, mm-hmm. but I've had some that are that are uh, um, uh, ripening right now, and yeah. I've picked them, and it's a yellow. It's very sweet, but I have no idea what the name of it is. <laughs> Ah, uh, is it a big fig or a small fig? No, it's a it's when it grows, it grows about maybe uh, one inch in diameter. It's it's a it's a fairly good sized fig, I and, guess. And and it really is it really is a yellow color. Yes, it is, and it, and the skin is very thin. Yeah, and it's you wash the fruit, and you can eat the whole thing. Well, you're probably looking at what is called a lemon fig. And uh, it's only named that because of the color. Uh, my friend Rob DeRocher and uh, some of the guys at Garden Volunteers of South Texas. I think this is a uh, variety that uh, an old fellow named Mr. Yingdun Moy, who uh, was at the Botanical Garden for years. I think that's a variety that uh, uh, Mr. Moy worked on developing. But uh, it, it sounds like the lemon fig to me, and it is an excellent fig for this area. Okay, so since I fertilized it a couple of months ago, next fertilization would be when? Um, in a month from now. I figure every 90 days, probably. Okay. All right. Yes, sir, uh, Bob, you helped me probably a couple of years ago. I had a real bad infestation of uh, fleas from a feral cat. Yes, uh-huh. And it was orange oil. You helped me out with that, and it worked great. Good. Right now, my neighbor's got, my neighbor's a contractor, and he's got a pile of trash in his yard. Uh-huh. I've seen rodents. Well, I was gone for 30 days. When I came back, they just, it was bad in my garage. It was terrible. Mm. So I started to clean it out, and I was wondering if you have anything I could mix up that's organic or that that I could spray around the garage or anything like that. 
Do you leave your garage closed most of the time when you're not at home? Yes, so of course. You're going to have to go online to look for this, but it is called Fresh Cab, C-A-B. I believe it's C-A-B. Uh, it is a, it, it comes in little pouches, and it is the best mouse and rat repeller I have ever seen. Um, I use it in my barn regularly because, uh, you know, if you live in the country, you're going to have rodents out there. But it's called Fresh Cab, C-A-B, and uh, comes little pouches. I don't know anybody that sells it locally, but that is the best thing I have ever found for uh, repelling rodents. Uh, one little bag normally lasts about three months or so. It's not expensive. Put it in your cabinets. Put it in your garage. It's a little pungent, but it's kind of a woodsy smell uh, when you first put it out. But uh, that's the only thing I know that really works to repel them. My garage is detached from the house, so mm-hmm. I'll be all right there. Yeah. Uh, I also picked up something it says organic. It's called Shake Away Mouse Repellent. It's pouches also. Yeah, I'm not sure what they put in there. I have yeah. not had as good luck with that. Okay. But uh, try it and see. Yeah, Fresh Cab. And, yeah, Fresh uh, Cab. Okay, and your previous caller, I guess it was a Miss Brenda, uh, she was asking about uh, a tree uh-huh. uh, growing yeah. with good shade, and you mentioned uh, Monterey oak. Right. And the sycamore, the sycamore you said grows too too big. Well, for her situation, uh, if you've got a big yard, there's nothing grows as fast as Mexican sycamore. Have to get a little extra water, but, uh, I mean, that'll make a 50-foot tree in 10 years for you. Okay. All right. Well... Okay, well, thank you very much, and I appreciate appreciate all your help, sir. It's always a pleasure, Abel. Good luck on the rat issue, and uh, that's one case that, um, you know, you want to be a good neighbor as far as you can, but when people carry it too far... Uh, there, there are, <laughs> there are some things uh, the city can uh, yes. politely suggest that uh, he might want to take care of that problem. Yeah, and <laughs> since I've talked to him last month about it, good, very good. Right. Label, it's always Thanks pleasure visiting sure. with you. All right, back to gardening, back to the phone lines. Good morning, Mike. Morning, Bob. I've got two questions. I know you've probably answered them a hundred times. <laughs> Let's but, make it one hundred one then. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, well, let me see here. First, first of all, either stink bugs or leaf-footed bugs. Mm-hmm. I've tried the I've tried the uh, DE. I put the DE on my tomato. I've got thirty tomato plants, yeah. and I'm putting the DE on the tomato plant. Not going to do much. And yeah. it didn't do much. Yeah, yeah. I I like a product came out about two years ago called Spinosad <clears throat> soap. <laughs> And it's a combination spinosad soap. It comes in a little hand sprayer. And I literally just go, uh, especially if you can do it uh, early in the day when they're not super active, Just they, they don't just fall over dead, but they do die. And it's, it is better than any spray, other spray that I've ever mm-hmm. used. The second mm-hmm. thing that I use uh, sometimes when I have a real bad infestation, I have one of these little hand vacuums. We used to call them dustbusters, but there are a lot of yeah, different I've brands now. That, I, yeah, I've tried that. But I well, didn't, try didn't the work. try the Spinosad soap. Uh, it okay. kills the immature ones very quickly. It cures it kills mature ones in a couple of days, and it is not toxic to people. I I would rinse the fruit. 
uh, before you eat it, <laughs> which, you oh. know, in my garden, I love to just pick and eat. I, I can't yeah. tell you how many Sun Gold tomatoes I ate last night. But um, it is totally safe, and uh, like I say, you just uh, comes in a little sprayer, just ready to mm-hmm. go out and get after them. But it's, a, it's the only, not only the best, it's the only product I've ever found that really does stop the stink bugs and leaf-footed bugs. Yeah, I've tried the I've tried the traps. I've tried yeah. the uh, uh, you know all that none, none of that kind of stuff ever works. So anyway, okay, and another quickie on oh you've answered this a hundred times too is a blossom end rot. You know I've done I've done the uh, uh, Epsom salts. You know done that oh several times and stuff. And so uh, I, I have a question that Bonite Bonite puts this product out called end rot or something like that mm-hmm. and have you do you have any experience with that i haven't used that now i'll tell you the epsom salts <clears throat> is something you have to do every year because our soils yeah. are just out of whack when it comes to that calcium magnesium balance right. and um if you want faster results dissolve them in water two tablespoons epsom salts to a gallon of water and just pour a couple of gallons of that mix around the base of your tomato plants. And if it is blossom yeah. end rot, that will stop it. But maybe even twice a season, uh, you're you're hardly going to overdo it. But um, uh-huh. I, I've i never seen anything. It's not a disease. It's not an insect. Right. So um, it's just it's, it's an imbalance in the uh, couple of the materials in the soil, the calcium and the magnesium. So Epsom right. salts will do it, but sometimes you got to use a lot of it, and you got to redo it more than once in a season. Well, I've tried it about uh, two or three times, and I'm still still getting some blossom in rot. But I guess I could just keep on trying it. Just keep but doing it, but that. yeah, I was wondering about that stuff put out by Bonide. You can give it a you try, know. but I I just haven't had any experience with it, Mike. But uh, go okay. ahead and use your liquid. All right, let's get to the phone lines now and uh, down to Pleasanton. Jerry's up first. Good morning, Jerry. Good morning, Bob. Morning, sir. I have a question about saltpeter for killing the stumps. For making them rot, not for killing them. Or rotting. Rotting. I'm sorry. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, It's on an old oak tree that I cut down a couple of weeks ago. Mm -hmm. I had painted the top of the stump to keep it from getting infected with any bugs or anything. Right. Right. but it's in a grove, and there's probably half a dozen big old oak trees right. within the same general area, mm-hmm. really close together. And I'm worried about the roots being being just grown together under the ground and that kind of thing. Is there any issue with with trying to with it possibly hurting it? Absolutely the tree next none. To it? Absolutely none, none. In fact, it's uh, it is used by a fertilizer. It would not be an organic fertilizer, but a lot of people use uh, potassium nitrate or something very similar as a fertilizer for plants. So, no, it's not going to not gonna hurt your other oaks, and it may stimulate a little growth in them. And, of course, the way it works, it just it uh, works to convert that wood fiber cellulose into something called nitrocellulose, which is just uh, uh, spongy. It's certainly more flammable. Uh, with an old oak tree, you may have to give it four to six months, but uh, you drill your holes in, you put your saltpeter in there, and uh, then you just put a couple of charcoal briquettes on down the road, light it, it just smolders down into the ground, no big flames or anything. So no way it's going to do any damage to anything around it. Uh, and like I say, it's a chemical. Uh, it's not organic, but it's it's used as a fertilizer, so it's not going to hurt your trees in any way. Okay. One quick question also. Underneath uh the canopy, I guess, 
before. Uh, we've had the place one year, mm-hmm. and and we've had real hard time getting the grass to go. It has some common, I guess, some kind of a common carpet grass that was growing before. Okay. But I noticed in the fall it would it would just disappear, like die out. And then now the springs come, and the runners are really taking off again. I've cut it real short to get them to grow even more. And I'm hoping with the extra sunlight they'll really take off and grow. But is that is is that some maybe a different kind of grass other than some kind of an off-brand carpet grass or it, something? It's probably for some it sort disappear? of probably some sort of Saint Augustine. That's about the only grass it's going to do in the shade. Right. Um, it you'll and it you know having more light. You're absolutely right. Will help it thicken up. Uh, supplemental water when we do get drier. I mean, it's been very surprising and very, very pleasant yes, that we've sir. had as much moisture as we've had this year. But um, supplement the water on there, and uh, if it is indeed dying back in the fall, you may have had an issue with a fungus disease called brown patch. Late summer, put out some corn water tea or some whole ground cornmeal. I don't know what kind of critters you may have that uh, some folks don't like to use the cornmeal. I was suggesting it to some folks in Houston at a golf course for a problem, and they say, well, we always uh, soak it in water and then use that because we put the actual cornmeal out. The deer come out on the greens and really mess up the grass. So, um, But if uh, that's the only thing that would make it, other than drought, the only thing to make it go away in the fall would be brown patch fungus. You'll totally stop that with your whole ground cornmeal. Perfect. Okay, so I had eight tenths last night, and it really looks good, and I appreciate your your, uh, show. Well, I always appreciate the call, and uh, congratulations on your new place. If you've had it a year, it's still a new place. (laughs) So (laughs) you get out and enjoy and call me anytime I can help, Jerry. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Bye. All right, uh, let's see. Up next is Heathcliff. Good morning, Heathcliff. Good morning, Bob. Thanks for taking my call. Thanks for calling. Well, I just wanted to say real quick, you're a call screener. He's a funny gentleman there. He, he tricked me. He's, he's a funny guy. Chris, well, Chris my, my is a character question. and has a good sense of humor, and, and it's a compliment to you because he only teases people that sound like they're really nice people. So if he's well, harassing I, I, you. <laughs> Irish compliment, I guess. There you yeah. go. There you go. Well, i got a question for you about my jalapeno plants. I, I, I've never really delved much into them before, so I decided as opposed to planting them in the ground, to just do it in a pot by my door. Uh-huh. I, when I first got I got it from a nursery nearby. When I first got it, it was maybe four or five inches. Now it's nearly a foot, not quite. But for some reason, it's I've only gotten one jalapeno, and it's just not growing anything else. How often, I'm are, you wondering f- it, how often are you feeding, and what are you using? Uh, to be, well, so the soil, like... I. The nursery I got it from, I forgot what they said. Basically, they said all we. I, they gave me some little fertilizer, and I put it on there. I I've, unfortunately don't remember what it was, but I, I I water it maybe every other day. It gets full sunlight. I water okay. it ev- maybe every three days. Okay, um, if it's getting enough sunlight, it sh- it ought to be needing water every day, as hot and bright as oh, it's okay. been. And I would get a good water-soluble fertilizer. There are several good ones by Fox Farms. Medina makes their has-to-grow and their fish fertilizer. Espoma makes a good liquid fertilizer. But uh, I'd be using a liquid fertilizer about every two weeks. And uh, I would think that you will very quickly have a much bigger plant and much more pepper production. Jalapenos are super easy to grow, but they're also heavy, heavy feeders. And uh, none of these soils come with enough fertilizer in them to last them for very long. 
And uh, this is time of year that your your pepper should be really growing and really producing. So get a good liquid fertilizer. Use it about every two weeks. Just substitute a feeding for a watering and um, keep that in. You know, the more sun, the more peppers. And uh, so keep it in the sunniest place you possibly can. How much more time do I have of good growth? Is it a lost cause or do I still got some time? Uh, up until about the 1st of October, I'd say you'll be in pretty good shape. Excellent. One more question. I, I have plenty of tomato plants that are doing good, and I've, I tried for the first time planting what's called a Rutgers. I'm not sure if you're yeah, familiar that's with a, that variety. That's a variety that's been around almost 100 years. Well, almost as old as me. Perfect. Well, I, <laughs> well old I, as my uh, grandfather, who would be over 100 by now, right? <laughs> well, when I got it from the nursery, it was maybe about five inches maybe closer to seven mm-hmm. it is maybe three feet tall it's growing like a wheat well growing like a tomato plant yeah it's growing but it i've only gotten two tomatoes out of it and they're big and they look beautiful how can i get more I'm, I'm treating it the exact same way as my other tomato plants which are doing fantastic for some reason i'm only getting two rudkers is not a heavy heavy producer uh, it is an indeterminate, um, and uh, are you getting lots of flowers on, or just not a lot of flower production either? Not a lot of no, just not a lot of flowers. No. Okay, I'd increase your fertilizing on that. Every time you make okay. up this liquid fertilizer to put on your pepper, go out and dump some on that Rutgers plant as well, and as many of the other tomatoes as you can. But Rutgers really does respond to uh, you know pretty heavy fertilizing, and it's a good tomato. It it will produce should be producing better than that for you. So. Pick up your feeding a little bit, and I think you get much better results. I've I've heard you several times mention it was called fish fertilizer from Medina. What, yeah, what it's there. I, I think they're just calling it uh, liquid fish fertilizer. I need to go look at the label and be sure. But uh, and it only comes in gallons. You're not putting it up in quarts yet, but it sure is good fertilizer. My plants seem to really like it. And I can't. Um, that's every two weeks, approximately. Yeah. Yeah. A little more, a little less, not going to make any difference, but that'd just be a good average to aim for. Well, Dr. Webster, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. You have a wonderful weekend, and I appreciate the call, and I will thank you, and I will move on and say good morning, Betty. Hi, good morning, Bob. Good morning. I have, don't have any questions on growing, but I want questions on killing. Okay. And they're both vines. Uh, One vine has a... It produces no flowers, but it it has stickers all along its stem. I guess you are a vine part, <clears throat> and I can't kill it. Yeah. I've chopped it off. I've put every time a killer on it I could think, and it just keeps growing and growing. Well, it's a it's a native plant. It's called Smilax. S M I L A X. Smilax Bonanax. Um, we many times call it names that we can't repeat on the air, shall we say. (laughs) And the problem is it has this huge woody underground root mass that it grows from. And if you will be diligent about, you know, cutting it back, chopping it back, it will eventually give up and die. If you use the vinegar orange oil mix on it every time it starts to sprout back, but it just, you have to work at it for six months at a time and it will die out. But it has such an, uh, you know, such a huge 
support system underground, so to speak. And, uh, of course, if it's out in the open, you could get, you know, a strong person with a spading fork or something like that. You could eventually dig it up, but you wouldn't get all of it. But the secret is just just keep after it. Every time you see it sprout up, chop it off at or below ground level, and it will eventually die out. But it's, um, you know, it's either that or get some goats to keep in the front yard. They'll keep it yeah. down to where it <laughs> basically so. dies. And, but, I, I, you know, I say that jokingly, but I've known ranchers that bought or borrowed a, what do we, we call it, a herd or a flock of goats or whatever, have, have run goats on their property for a limited period of time because they're the only things that eat the blasted stuff. Hmm. I'll be done. You just okay, have to keep after one it. more question. Yeah. One more question on a vine, and this one has flowers in the spring. Tiny little things, about the size of your little fingernail. Kind of lavender and, purple. Um, it's green. Okay. Yeah. It's it's you know it looks almost like nylon or something. It's beautiful, but then it produces this pod mm-hmm. that looks like a chandelier light bulb. Uh-huh. Yeah. And what is that and how do I get rid of it? Well, it's a wild morning glory. Um, I'm trying to remember the name they apply to it. It's a, a kind of an odd, like you say, little seed pod that it produces. It's another one that you cut it off, you pull it up two or three times, it will stop coming back. They call it uh, green, gosh, I'd have to get out my wildflower book to look at it and see, but uh, it's another native uh, plant is actually not real common, and that that greenish flower is most unusual. I was afraid you were going to describe something they uh, they call bindweed, which is just the devil to get rid of. But what you're talking about, cut it off the ground two or three times, it will die out. Oh, okay. So it's a wild morning glory, right? I've never seen. I know what morning glories look like, but these are tiny flowers, yeah. and they're very pretty in the spring, right? Right. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it is, I won't say it's super common. Most people, you know, leave it because like you, they just enjoy the unusual little flowers. I see it very occasionally just springing up around my ranch, but it's not a real weed. Now the Smilax, the thorny thing, that's something you should attack with vigor. Uh, this other, um, white morning glory, the, oh golly, there's a name for it. I'll have to get out my, uh, my my wildflower book and and look at that but it's it's not harmful in any way and if you want to get rid of it just cut it off the ground two or three times and it'll stop coming back okay well that's yeah i'm tempted to leave it but then i'm going but what's going to happen is it going to overtake my other bushes it's not it's not invasive it will not not be a problem Okay, well, I have another word for that smilax. Oh, the devil weed. <laughs> yep. I hate that thing. Yep. I hate it. Well, you and me both, but okay. uh, maybe you need a pet goat. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try for one. That sounds good, Betty. Thanks Bye-bye. for the call. Goodbye. All right, back to the phone lines, and we start down in Mathis. Good morning, Beverly. Good morning. Good How morning. are you this morning? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing good, too, as long good. as you can answer my question. <laughs> I'll do my best. And I know you can. <laughs> okay. I have an apple tree. It's an Einsheimer or yep. Shimmer. I don't know how mm-hmm. to say it. Einsheimer is um, what most people say. It's an Israeli okay. apple. I'm sorry? It's an Israeli apple developed in Israel, yes, and yes. it's a very good low-chilling apple. Yes. Well, I've got lots of apples. However, there's uh, a fungus that gets on them. 
Mm-hmm. And from what I have been able to dis- determine, it's bitter rot. It's possible. There are two or three brown rots that apples get. It's one of mm-hmm. many reasons there are not a lot of them grown here. Uh, make yourself some corn water tea. Take a... Well, Go okay. ahead. I have tried, you know, the cornmeal tea. I've tried garlic spray. And, you know, it's nothing seems to work um, unless, well, I'm, I'm not sure um, if I should cut out some of the dead branches. Doesn't uh, really, should not impact the fruit because uh, apple trees very definitely are susceptible to a to a blight if they get too much water, too heavy pruning, too much nitrogen. All those things can affect the growth. But normally with the with the apples themselves, um, it's you, you have to start early. You have to start about the time that the little petals first drop after the flowers have been pollinated. But I've always found that about every two weeks with your corn water tea spray, you're getting the trichoderma fungus going on there, and that should be a help. And um, if it were me alternating it with the uh, with the garlic spray, I'm not sure what else to tell you to do. Um, okay. Uh, I'm not sure. Well, on the on online, you know, I looked the stuff up. Right, right. And um, they said to remove any dead wood. And well, I do have some limbs that, like half of them are dead at the top. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I was waiting to see uh, if they were truly dead or sure. you know just what. And some of them are truly dead. They haven't made any uh, leaves. Yeah. About halfway up. Well, it so. would be fine to remove them, but I don't think that's going to change the you know problem with the fruit <laughs> at all. It yeah. uh, it it you know will help with the overall appearance of the tree. And if you have had any of the of the blight problems that hit the tree itself, uh, you know proper pruning will certainly help to control that to take out some of these uh, older dead limbs. But um. <sighs> I gosh, I I don't know what to tell you to improve uh, or to stop the problem on the fruit, except you may just not be getting started early enough in the year. And I mean, we start with that first antifungal spray, which is what your corn water tea is. Uh, we start that while the and it's certainly not going to hurt the bees or anything that are out there pollinating it. Well, but uh, you want to get start doing that weekly or every two weeks from the time the petals drop on the flowers. Okay. Well, I will do that next year. <laughs> well, you keep me posted on how it does. Yeah. And, okay. of course, and you know, as I'm sure you do, stay totally organic on your fertilizer and yes. uh, be sure that root flare is exposed on the apple trees. That's really important on apple trees. So when you okay. look at the base of the tree, I mean, just having the trunk of the tree too deep in the ground, that can lead to all mm-hmm. kinds of problems on the top of the tree as well. So I'd check well, that today. Well, I I have done that, but um, it you know in the past like what uh, I only did that like a year ago. I didn't know about it, and so I do have the root flare exposed. Okay, very good. Well, that uh, should was, that should help in the yeah. long run. And is this also an issue then uh, that I would have possibly with the you know my peaches and nectarines and the soft fruited. <laughs> 
Um, okay. No, the uh, okay. the the fruit light is unique to the apples, uh, but getting the root flares exposed is going to be important on all your trees. But this is not yeah. something that's going to spread from apples to peaches or anything else. Okay, I've got another question. Okay, um, my um, my autumn sage or salvia gregii right. uh, was doing well, and it's in full sun. Uh, and then uh, all of the leaves dropped off. I thought, you know, it was getting attacked by some kind of bug, but I never saw anything. And now um, I'm just not sure what's going on with it. What, with which color of the autumn sage is it? Uh, red. Okay. The red yeah, is... so beautiful. <laughs> yeah, the red is a wimpier plant than the pink or even the white and even the apricot color. Um, okay. It is usually a water issue. And mm-hmm. uh, it can be too much or it can be too little. It will survive a lot of abuse. But um, normally when I see them in the ground doing this, it's a problem that it's uh, stayed a little too wet. Yeah, I was afraid of that. Because yeah. <laughs> I, had, I had fertilized and then, um, you know, gave them a little bit of water. I've got them uh, close to some Siniso. Uh-huh. And so I'm very careful about overwatering, uh, I thought, and uh, then I got like two and a half inches of rain, and <laughs> right. <there they> And uh, <laughs> remember, as I always say, there's no such thing as overwatering, but there is watering too often. So when yeah, you water, right. and that goes for your Sinisa as well as your uh, Greggy eyes, water them really, really, really thoroughly, but let them dry to the proper point. And if you plant any more of them, plant that mm-hmm. hot pink, that really bright pink color. That is by far the, in my opinion, the toughest and best blooming of the salvia gregii. The reds are pretty, but after three or four years, they just start getting leggy. They're not nearly as upright, and they just uh, they just for on me they just start dying out after three or four years and yet i've had the pink ones for probably 15 years with no problem so yeah. if you plant more i'd sure suggest going with the pink rather than the red and can't do anything about the rain and we certainly don't want to <laughs> complain about it but uh That's just right. be I'm sure <laughs> yeah, be sure you're not compounding the problem with too much supplemental water right well i am trying to um feed the hummingbirds absolutely uh, you know, well, the hummingbirds love the pink just as much as they do the red. Okay, good. <laughs> and one more question. Okay. Um, on kefir pears, um, I have one, and uh, it will bloom. However, uh, it doesn't produce fruit. And the local nurseries have told me that I don't need another pear because the kefirs are grafted to no, these. No, they, they, don't, they don't know what they're talking about. Uh, it always thought. Yeah, grafting has nothing to do with whether or not cross-pollination is needed, and every okay. pear tree out there uh, needs to be cross-pollinated. Now, normally, if there's another pear tree within a quarter of a mile, the bees will mm-hmm. do it for you, but uh, if in doubt, plant uh, plant an orient. Orient would be a real good match for a yeah. kefir, and okay. you'll start getting a lot more fruit from them. All right, and that should be done in the fall. Correct. You should plant whenever you can find a nice tree. Okay, good. <laughs> oh, thank you so much, Bob. <laughs> it's always a pleasure. It's, and you get out and have a good weekend. And, to you. <laughs> well, it makes my day as well. You get out and enjoy. All right, let's get back to gardening and straight back to the phone lines. And uh, it's going to be E.T. Wayne 
I'm sorry, E.T., Bill, Wayne, and Clem in that order. And good morning, E.T. Good morning, Bob. How are you today? I'm doing great. How about yourself? Oh, I'm still kicking. <laughs> That's so, a good thing. I got a couple questions. Uh, blue bonnet seeds, I harvest something, you know, just as the seeds are popping. One uh-huh. cannot throw them in the ground. Well, obviously, Mother Nature's doing it now, but here's the problem. If we put on our blue bonnet seed too early, it sprouts and comes up, and then we go into a dry spell, then it dies. So I plant blue bonnet seeds toward the end of September, really late September, early October. That gives you plenty of time for them to come up and do their little rosette of leaves for the fall and then give you nice flowers in the spring. So, um, you know, September, early October, that's the time I'd recommend planting them. Okay, great. Okay, I've been official nematodes. I have a flea problem. Yes. And how much were them little blue sponges in the area? I got a yard, and the front yard is about 75 feet by 75 feet plus the backyard. Um, one sponge covers about uh, 3,000 square feet or so. So 75 by 75 is uh, oh, roughly 5,000 square feet. You probably need two sponges in the front. That's a pretty big yard. Uh, I'd probably okay, do yeah. two sponges in the front and one in the back. Okay, great. And uh, daffodils, uh, they grew up earlier in the year, but they all died back. I guess the uh, bulbs are still under the ground. Should I dig them up and save them or no. just Th- let them go? They'll come back next year right where they are, especially if they're the naturalizing varieties. But uh, it's time for the foliage to be dying back now on your daffodils. But uh, most every variety out there um, you know, will come back twice as strong, twice as many flowers next spring. But uh, the real problem with them is they only only stay in bloom for uh, a week or two. But nice thing is they bloom in so early in the year when not much else is out there. So I love the daffodils. Just be sure if you buy bulbs that you get what we call the naturalizing variety. And that way they come back year after year and just get prettier. But leave them in the ground. They don't require any extra chilling. Okay. And I was listening a week or two of Jeff Ferris, you know, his uh, program now. He says for a moisture indicator for potted plants to use like a, a shish kebab stick of the bamboo type. Use your finger. In the ground. Use, huh? use your finger. Uh, okay, it's, yeah. It, it's, it's the best, best moisture meter in the world. I, I hear people using really strange things. I just use your index finger. Okay, and one more question. Uh, like I had an old half a sack of old deer corn that, you know, fermented, I guess, and went bad. Yeah. Can I use that as a thing, you know, pour it in a big old, you know, in a big old pig trough for water and let it set. And oh, then use it in our yard because I have a, a patch of brown patch, I guess. So. Well, you don't see much brown patch in hot weather. It's, uh, if you got grass uh-huh. dying out in hot weather, it may be grub worms or something else. But, yeah, that old, uh, that old deer corn is just fine. It'll grow the trichoderma beautifully. Okay, so I mean, so it might be, you know, the nematodes might take care of the grubs, too, then. I would think so. I would think okay, so. Okay, all right. Thank you very much, and you'll have a very pleasant day. You do the same, E.T. It's always good to talk to you. All right, uh, next up is Bill. Good morning, Bill. Oh, good morning, Bob. Good morning, sir. Yeah, I've, got, I've got a couple of problems that bug me. Okay. We uh, had the, the Sunday after uh, your tropical thing, I went. Uh-huh. Since I couldn't find any tomatoes, I was opening. I went there before you opened on a Sunday morning. Okay. And I got one of everything, and in some cases, two or three. <laughs> okay. Okay. Now, they're all up. They're, they're growing. They're, they're healthy. Maybe I'm not feeding them enough, but they're blooming like heck, and I've got no tomatoes. 
Now, one other thing I'd add, I've got no bees either. Well, bees don't, uh, you don't need bees for tomatoes. You need bees for beans and squash and things like that. Okay, I'm glad to hear that. But tomatoes are wind-pollinated, and um, uh, oh, I know a guy one time used to go out and shake his, just go out and shake that tomato cage, and uh, he said he got better tomatoes. But normally, that's not necessary. Normally, your tomatoes should be setting fruit, especially your little cherry tomatoes. Now, the bigger fruit of varieties, as the nights get hotter, they don't set as much fruit. But uh, um, don't worry about the bees. If anything, just go out there and, you know, bump that cage or whatever. Because uh, when All we right. get these rains, it tends to wash the pollen out. But uh, normally just the wind or just a little shake is all it takes to get a tomato flower just, pollinated. Just take my belts off, my pants go around and smack them. There you go. Not too hard, okay. but uh, uh, they'll get the idea and they should start producing, like say, especially and, your cherry types. Oh, not fertilizer. I, I just I, two, about two weeks ago, I, I did the uh, sage green, growing green. Um, not the growing green, the liquid. Yeah, the liquid now liquid fertilizer I use about every two weeks. Okay, so it's time this week because I did it about two weeks ago. Yeah, do it again. Tomatoes are a little slow to set this year. I think it's because we were so cool for so long. But you should be starting to set tomatoes soon. I I've eaten more tomatoes in the past ten days than I have you know the past three months. So hopefully things will start setting very well for you. But Keep up that feeding and uh, just just smack them around a little bit, and uh, they'll set more fruit. Okay, that uh, that takes care of that part. And also, not heard earlier that you got all the sun gold because uh, you didn't have any when I went there. Well, I tell you the <laughs> truth, uh, I went out and bought some at another nursery. <laughs> Because we couldn't, we couldn't get as much as I wanted, so I went and saw the old hill country African violets, and that's, uh, uh, yeah, I, uh, sun gold was hard to come by this year. Early on, there were plenty of them, and then the growers just kind of ran out because maybe we talked about them too much. But you know, that's one you can save seeds and start your own plants. But uh, get a little earlier start uh, next time around. Start looking toward the end of February, and we should have yeah, lots of sun golds for you. Wait on that. I've got one other problem with. Uh, Hale's best uh, cantaloupe. Cantaloupes. I, I planted yeah three little hills. I got. To, I'm gonna make them go up to trellis on the side of the fence. I've done that before. Okay. But they've been. It's been probably more than ten days, and none of them have come up yet. Hmm. How often are you watering the seed? Uh, I haven't watered them that much. I'd be watering them every day. They ought to be up and growing by now. Uh, cantaloupe, cucumbers, melons, they ought to be up in about five days with this kind of heat. So I think you need to pick up your watering. And uh, uh, cantaloupe seed keeps a long time. I don't think it's a problem with the seed. I think you just need to water it uh, substantially more. The only the only thing I was uh, thinking about it was uh, it's a narrow bed because it's going up. Uh-huh. But I mixed quite a bit of the uh, new earth that H-E-B compost into the soil. But yeah. Could I put too much compost on it? I doubt it. Uh, oh, I mean, okay. you could have planted the seeds too deep. Could take them longer to sprout, but I, I think the you just packet, need... The pack, the packet's at a half inch. Huh? Yeah, that's about yeah. right. I think you just need to keep them a little more moist, at least till they get up and growing. Okay, that's why I've been working on my drip system anyway. Yeah. Because then I'll, they'll get watered probably 
twice a day for about 35 or 40 minutes. Uh, that should be plenty. Oh, okay. That answered my question, Bob. I appreciate it, Bill. Have a great weekend, and we'll talk again. All right, back to gardening, and uh, we'll probably finish up this hour with Wayne and Clem. And so let's start with Wayne. Good morning, Wayne. Good morning. How are you? I'm good, sir. How's your day going? Okay. I have a question on a blood lily. Okay. I've had it about I've had it about six years. Okay. And I was told to transplant it every three years to move some of the buds around to get more lilies out of them. And I got one the next year, the flower. The last two years, I have gotten no flowers, but a pretty green stalk. And the last couple of years, I've been I was told to fertilize it with a at least a twenty twenty twenty, and I used a seventeen seventeen twenty one Miracle Grow. Uh-huh. And all I've gotten now is pretty stalk, but no flowers out of it. Can you tell me what I did to it? <laughs> okay. First of all, there are two or three different things that are called blood lilies. One of them is hemanthus that puts up a stalk, and then it has just a whole cluster of odd little flowers on the top of it. The other one that is more commonly grown here is a fall-blooming lily that comes up with a real dark, dark red flower they call a schoolhouse lily. Do you know which one you have? That's it. That's it. Okay. And how much sun are they in? Uh, Same thing that we're doing for three or four years. Not a a full sun, Mm -hmm. but enough, you know, that that they grew for three years or four years, and then the last two I've gotten none, and then I fertilized it. So I wasn't sure if I heard it or... Well, again, um, sometimes, you know, as trees grow and areas get shadier, uh, the oxblood lilies do like lots of sun. And, of course, the thing that, you know, gets them to come up and bloom is that first rain of fall. You can water the heck out of them, and they don't do anything until they get that first natural rain. And then they should come up and bloom heavily. Now, I don't like the miracle Grow products. I don't like the synthetic nitrogen. I feel like the oxbloods do better um, with, uh, you know, with a natural fertilizer. Um, and you say you did dig and divide them? Yes, I did. Okay. And now, then I got one year out of them, and then the next two I haven't. Okay. Uh, well, I was going to tell you, you have to be super <laughs> careful, of course, because the oxbloods make that, that kind of a thin neck that comes up and if that gets broken then they don't do well but since they did well the first year after you dug and divided them i i think the fertilizing is important uh the time that you fertilize is also important and that's while they have the green foliage on them now mine have pretty much died back to the ground but in that period from about oh november on through march or so uh they should have you know, lots lots of foliage on them, and that's when you really want to be feeding them. Doesn't do any good at all to feed them at this time of year. And okay. there's, you know, there's not much you can do now because those the flower buds have, in effect, already been set. But I would I would get a good liquid natural fertilizer like Hestergrow, or better still, the new fish fertilizer from Medina, or Espoma makes a very good liquid fertilizer or maybe one of the uh, Fox Farm products. I think it'd be good to give them a a real good fertilizing now, but beyond that, we're just pretty much going to have to wait and see um, how they do. Now, if you want to dig and divide, uh, this is certainly the time of year to do it while the plants are dormant after that top dies back. But I would tell you, if you do this, plant them out in full hot sun. 
I suspect that this area is getting a little shadier when we have a good, you know, rainy year like this. The trees and things put out about twice as much foliage as they do in a dry year. So I think too much shade may be part of the problem. But uh, again, not a lot to do with this time of year. But I would feed them one more time and then let's see how they do in August or September when we get that good rain when they come up. Okay. Talk to me when they first emerge and uh, we'll, you know, we'll figure out what's going on. Okay, don't don't cut the green lime no. uh, limbs back until they're gone. No, right. wait until they turn okay. brown and die back to okay. ground level. I appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Good luck, and we'll talk All again. Right. <laughs> Thank you. All right, bye-bye. Bye. All right, finish up the hour with Clem. Good morning, Clem. Good morning, Bob. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Thank you for um, calling. About, sure. Uh, I live right across 281 from your nursery. Okay. Two years ago, uh, a tornado came and visited us. And, yes. Uh, Took out a took out a huge uh, Spanish oak tree. Okay, uh, completely uprooted it. So, uh, a couple of months afterwards, we planted a uh, another uh, uh, Spanish oak sapling, and then last Sunday night, uh, Mother Nature came back with lightning bolts, mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> uh, the tree is split and broken about um, a foot and a half above the ground, and I'm just wondering if there's anything I might be able to do to to salvage it or is it a lost cause or what, what do you think now you say split and broken just describe did, did the tree get hit by lightning yes okay yeah there's there, there's there's burn marks and exploded bark okay. uh the the half that's the 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 main uh uh canopy and and the main uh, trunk is laying on the ground but it's still showing every bit of signs of life you know the, the so so there's still life in the thing uh, but of course, I, I need to. Uh, I got you know twenty feet of tree laying in the yard, but sure. not sure what to do. Should cut off what what's broken and hope for the best, or what? Well, do you think? I would trim off anything that's really badly split and splintered, and be sure that you do seal the wound since it is a red oak. Lightning, mm-hmm. unless it physically explodes the trunk, um, I can't tell you how many trees I've had bark blown off of by lightning strikes. Uh, uh, and but the tree should you know that should not be the death of the tree. I mean it's uh, uh, all I can tell you is next time you plant a tree like this, uh, spend a hundred bucks and put a lightning rod up in the top of it. Uh, it's just really important on any trees, and lightning rods will almost a hundred percent stop damage from lightning, and it's just not that expensive to do. But in this case, I just trim the damage part. I would seal those wounds. And give it a little time. Be sure you don't overwater because red oaks like it on the dry side and uh, pretty much need to watch it for six months and see how it does. Okay. Okay. So do you think maybe Mother Nature's telling me not to plant a tree there? I think Mother Nature's telling you put a lightning rod in it next time you do. Okay. All right. I'll give it a shot. Thank you. Always a pleasure, Clem. Thank you. And if you've been listening to you very long, you know that no, don't dial right this second. We'll save approximately the last 30 minutes of the show for more phone calls. But uh, this is the time of the show that we are privileged to talk to the dirt doctor, Mr. Howard Garrett. Good morning, sir. Good morning. I hope everybody is um, staying cool. It uh, <laughs> is a very strange heat that's going on. I don't know if you've noticed. 
I noticed about two weekends ago when I spent a little too much time out in it and didn't really feel it at the time, but the next morning I was meeting a truck and I, I got the truck unloaded, but then I started feeling really bad and realized that I just hadn't gotten enough electrolytes and it's, it's, it's a dangerous heat out there. If you, if you're not real careful about it. It's strange. We, yeah. I thought it was just me. And then I got, I uh, was noticing, uh, couple of the guys i was playing golf with the last two times we've we've been out kind of shaking their head and, and i said well you, you get a little dizzy and i said yeah mm-hmm. and, and i had the same thing it's kind of scary it's a strange combination of the heat and uh humidity i guess but i've yes. never uh, and maybe we're just not used to it yet but anyway be careful <laughs> out there well and uh yeah i've gotten i've really upped my electrolyte consumption and i'm glad to say i'm back to feeling good again of course i i will admit i and, uh, and i already had it planned but i escaped from the heat i was actually shivering a little bit earlier this week but that's because i ran up to colorado for a couple of days there you <laughs> <And> go. <laughs> that was really nice but uh oh nothing like coming back to it but you're you're exactly right and uh i've i've heard the same thing in fact we we kind of make some of the electrolytes available to our employees and encourage them to drink it and uh you know some people just don't get the message and i'll tell you what when you when it hits you it will take you a few days to get back to feeling like yourself and it can be can be very dangerous if you if you don't watch it yeah i think uh, that's part of what's been bothering uh judy some she's had kind of a coughing situation that won't uh, go away it may be kind of related as well i've got some um, really good news update news for uh, everybody about roundup and <laughs> one of them's kind of funny that it <laughs> slipped, slipped by me we uh, had a meeting with Denton. I, I haven't been saying that's who my client is because I, I hadn't really asked them for the green light on it. And we had a meeting a couple of days ago, and they we had heard through the grapevine because there had been kind of a funny, uh, bad rumor uh, start about uh, my involvement and what it would uh, do to uh, the use of fertilizer. Which I'll tell you about too. But the first thing is that's just uh, pretty incredible was that the city council, not even uh, as a part of our recommendations, uh, the uh, people we're working with told the city council we're involved in writing new specs, organic specs, and everything. But they had a they had a, a recommendation to the city council from this group of environmental people they put together, which we weren't. A part of mm-hmm. that they shouldn't uh, necessarily ban Roundup totally, but put it into a category of it still being on the accepted list, but only use it as uh, a last resort or after you know doing their uh, thought process that you know I don't necessarily agree with. You know the uh, uh, IPM type yep. thought process. Yep. Yep. Well, the city council. Just says, well, no, let's just go ahead and ban it, which they did. <laughs> so Fantastic. The city, uh, the city of Denton has totally banned the use of glyphosate uh, in the parks. There's some, there's a little bit of a question with every, all of the cities that are talking about this, about whether when they do it, it applies to every department or just, just the park department. 
But the park department here in Denton, for sure, and it probably relates to the rest of the departments as well, ban not only uh, glyphosate use, but also uh, neonicotinoids. And as I was talking about it and asking them if it's okay if I announce it, they said, sure, it's been in the paper. I, I, got, I sent you a copy, in <laughs> fact, of the, of the article from the Denton paper, and they've announced th- that they're doing that and that they're working with me on the specs for or an organic program on this one big park that hopefully, when shown to be successful, will expand to the whole park system. Well, that's well, phenomenal. The thing that happened yeah. in that meeting, I think I told you last week that when we were in uh, Milwaukee, the Randy Young guy that said they had banned glyphosate there and were using propane sprays, but in the Denton meeting, they said, oh, and you know that Miami has totally band roundup and glyphosate use i said no i didn't good news well in doing a quick little research on that i haven't found all the cities yet but in uh in florida miami beach and stewart <clears throat> those cities have also banned roundup so we're making some progress well that's and that's such a good thing and i have to think that you know people they just got to realize what a liability. I mean, if the city puts out, you know, or has requires their staff to use Roundup, and then any worker out there gets non-Hodgkin's lymphoma or just about anything else, you know the city's going to get sued as much as that is in the news. And um, I would think, and, and I'm just surprised that every botanical garden in the world, every you know, school district in the world, any any place that you would have your workers, let alone the public, exposed to this stuff, that they wouldn't ri- realize the liability of it. And, you know, forget the fact they don't need it. We've got other things that work just as well. But I would think the liability factor in this just ought to, ought to be getting through to people eventually because of... Uh, the lawsuits that have been settled, <laughs> Monsanto hadn't won a lawsuit yet, and they've been millions of dollars apiece, and with 13,600 suits pending against them, uh, I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to get this figured out. Well, I think that's exactly what's happening. I think it's kind of <laughs> hitting everybody upside the head that uh, this is a liability that they just don't need to uh, deal with, and it's making people look into it and read the things that all of us are writing and the, the yep. backup that shows that it's bad. Now, the negative side of it, in in the article uh, in Miami about Miami eliminating glyphosate use, it says that they are still using uh, permethrin for the spraying of mosquitoes, but it then follows up by saying that a new study is showing that there's uh, a real strong relationship between this uh, chemical spray and autism in children. So mm-hmm. that <clears throat> wheel has started moving, too, to uh, stop the use of the you know the synthetic pyrethroids, which needs to happen for Absolutely, sure. absolutely. Well, if I could make one suggestion about uh, um, your working with the city of Denton and everybody else is I would work out some deal with them, and I'll tell you why I was thinking about this uh, earlier anyway, uh, to to make the organic certification course available to them 
to have their employees that are going to be doing the maintenance and things like that. And uh, I I think that could be a real win-win situation to get even more word about the course out there, but uh, to educate educate the people that are going to be maintaining you know the new park and and doing all this other stuff and uh just uh, I, I just think that would be a great adjunct to add to it and one of the reasons i was thinking about that i sneaked off to colorado for a couple of days and was looking uh in one of the nurseries up there and the good news is they had a bunch of reasonably good organic material on the shelf uh some espoma and they had some uh, fox farm product up there and even though i don't agree with all of them the bad news is the employees didn't know one thing about it you know it and i'm i'm thinking to myself we need to get with fox farms we need to get with Medina, we need to get with some of these other people that are going into parts of the country that really don't have a presence where people can learn something. And I'm talking about the professionals that are selling this stuff. And I just want to find a way to tie the organic certification course to that so their employees, I mean, they do so much better job of selling the product if they understood a little bit more about it. But anyway, your your great online course was on my mind this week thinking about that. But now thinking about the city of Denton and uh, what a what a bonus that could be to uh, some of their employees. Well, we have mentioned it to them, but we need to be stronger about it. And, and probably it's dawning on me that I need to contact all these other cities that are getting into this, too, because the same same situation would exist uh, there. The, uh, probably one of the things that hurts the conversion over to organics more than anything is people starting it and doing a, a bad job of it by, mm-hmm. because they don't understand you know, what to do. It's not just simply changing from these products to, <laughs> to these products. Yeah. It's, it's not a product list. It's a lot more than that. And uh, uh, education is just, I mean, it's what you and I try to do daily and weekly and everything else, but uh, uh, that is really good news. I mean, that is that is quite a coup. It's pretty big. It's yeah. a pretty big deal. And I, I was a little bit surprised that they told me that I had free reign to announce it, you know, talk about it on the air and all that kind of thing. But uh, they had already had an article run in the Denton paper, but so it was already uh, released. It just kind of flew by me that they they had already started being that open ab- about it. The, the bad little part that uh, kind of created the need for this meeting was that there's a I got a call from John Ferguson in uh, Houston, you know, mm-hmm. who's in the compost business and everything there. Right. He said, Howard, I got a question for you. He said, uh, we've been talking to this uh, lady uh, from California who's involved with a nonprofit that uh, t- talks to cities about going organic and everything. And they uh, and somebody in Denton have said that you have made the statement that if you go organic, well, if you stop using Roundup, it causes a situation where you have to spend three times as much on synthetic fertilizer. (laughs) (laughs) He said, did you say that? I said, John, what do you think? (laughs) And so so we brought that up in the meeting, and they were, you know, a little bit red in the face because they, they knew how it happened in the city councilman while they were talking about Roundup issue and everything. They, they, that was a separate conversation meeting than going organic in Denia Park, the, our test park. And they said that 
it, it had come they had some people in the committee and on the city council that want to eliminate using fertilizers completely uh-huh. totally and so in all that conversation it, it gets somebody misinterprets it to yep. mean that you have to use more fertilizer if if you go organic and then it gets converted over to <laughs> it, you have to use more synthetic fertilizer because they were actually talking about the rest of the park system that's not organic yet. You know, we're only doing the organic uh, uh, test on one park. Sure. So it was a good lesson to learn how fouled up the story can get real quickly and not be true at all about what really happened. Well, I'm sure you face the same thing I do here. There are other people on the air that preach a totally different sermon than you and I do, but I have people come to me every week. It seems like somebody's coming up saying, I heard you say such and such, and I'm saying, I would never say that. You're confusing me with another, you know, program that you happen to tune into, but it's not anything new and it's just so ongoing. I just, uh, I, and, and I, I worry about the people. I'm, I'm glad for the people that come and tell me that and give me a chance to correct it. But I wonder how many other people out there just don't pay any attention to who they're listening to. And, uh, uh, I, I tell you, it's it's one place that we need to do a little bit more work is on the fertilizers because so many, um, especially the you know the A and M people, the land grant people, they start talking about oh you have to put out X number of pounds of nitrogen and therefore you have to use these higher analysis fertilizers. And the first thing that I do in my lectures when I talk about fertilizing is say okay let's see how much fertilizer your plants actually get. You use this synthetic product, the plants are maybe going to get 10% of it. So if it's a 19% fertilizer, yeah, yeah, they're going to get 1.9%. Now, over here, we have this organic product that's 4% nitrogen that the plants are going to get basically 100% of, and they just don't get that the numbers don't matter. It's what's in the fertilizer, and the numbers can be lower, and yet the plants still get three times as much nutrient. And that's the sort of thing you're talking about. All these people look at is pounds of nitrogen per acre and look at the numbers on the bag when the story is so different. And, boy, you just beat your head against the wall sometimes trying to well, get people to understand that. the bad soil test that yeah. uh, talks about the chemistry side of it and makes a big deal out of uh, that, not only the pounds per acre, but also the... Uh, you know, changing the pH, which is pretty irrelevant uh, in most cases uh, as well. So it's um, it's just a different deal because we're not really feeding the soil, the uh, plants no. directly anyway. We're feeding the soil, and then there's a indirect kind of thing. Even the 1% of the synthetic fertilizer that gets in the plants probably, in a lot of cases, making them green and grow, but it also is doing some damage by fouling up biological activity and everything, and, and is the culprit leading to insect and disease problems right. in a lot of cases. Right, yeah. Well, anyway, it, the it, other thing I wanted to tell you real uh, quickly, uh, the uh, big storm that we had, it wrecked a bunch of trees. Some of the golf courses, Northwood and uh, uh, Royal Oaks, have lost hundreds of big trees. It, wow. We had we had rotation. We, had, we came close to having a really bad... Deal, and it really tore up a bunch of trees. And the one, the big ones that I've seen knocked completely over, both here in Lakewood, on the D 
different golf courses I've looked at and then just in, in general throughout North Dallas, the ones that are that are felled, the ones that are totally down, it's remarkable how crummy the root systems are on mm-hmm. those trees. Yeah. Very few. And I did my Dallas Morning News column on it. It'll run be running this Wednesday. And showing, uh, I sent in some pictures of trees, uh, the root systems of trees that had fallen, and I never know how much of that they're going to run, but we'll put more of that on our website. And it, it's just, yeah, there were saturated soil, and yeah, there was a terrible windstorm and, and all, but if the root system is healthy, it just absolutely, definitely makes a big difference in how well they can stand up. And I, I blame the weed and feed products as much as, as anything else out there because he's, you know, all the advertising and things, uh, oh, it doesn't hurt anything, you know, except the weeds. And I I think weed and feed, other than having the root flare buried too deeply, I, that's the biggest problem I see with trees developing a decent root system and all the related problems that come to that because – these people, uninformed, do it year after year after year, and every time you do that, you're destroying, you know, the the root structure that these trees need to stand up to weather. Well, that's right. I don't think there's anything worse for uh, mycorrhizal fungus, and, and the mycorrhizal fungus is directly related to the health of the, the roots themselves than the weed and feed fertilizers. The second worst fertilizer to use is what's being recommended officially now from A&M, and that's nitrogen-only yeah. fertilizer. Yeah. I think that's the second worst. When you put out a single-element fertilizer or single-element uh, treatment of any kind, I think all you're doing is uh, making it real easy to create a new problem in a different direction. Well, and, you know, that's, uh, and, and just the runoff and the problems that that causes, the environmental pro- problems that oh. that causes outside of what it does to the plant life, it's... Uh, Absolutely. We've sure got to work... Not only water pollution, but air pollution. You know, there's a, there's a lot of air pollution that results from synthetic uh, fertilizer volatizing. There's just all kinds of problems. And by the way, one, one other final thing that I wanted to uh, throw in, and we've... If, we can talk about it in more detail later, but when you, I heard just part of you talking to the uh, uh, gardener, one of your listeners, about uh, problems with fruit trees. Right. That it's one of the most common questions that I get, and a lot of times it's an organic person that's having a problem, like you were having this, or not, you're talking about, and. And the, I'll ask people, okay, well, what are you doing? Well, I sprayed the cornmeal juice, or I sprayed hydrogen peroxide, or sprayed pure mm-hmm. grow, or whatever. I said, well, did you do the rest of the sick tree treatment? Uh-huh. In most cases, people say no. Yeah. And yeah. I, I wanted to throw that out. That is incredibly important. Yeah, you can stop the fungal disease. You can stop the bacterial disease. You can stop viral diseases with the whole uh, sick tree treatment. But when you just do the spraying of a uh, organic disease control, <clears throat> if you don't fix the problem that brought it there to begin with, it's going to come back. That's a real and good so, point. That's a real good and point. And the whole sick tree treatment is just so powerful and so incredible that but i i deal with it all the time uh, people listen to me uh, some of the arbors that i work so closely with i've got one right now one of my golf buddies said howard i got uh, something eating the bark on my japanese maple 
And I said, well, Joe, did you get the flare exposed? Yeah, I got, you know, I had your guy that you recommended come out and do it. I said, well, did they do the rest of the sick treatment? My own arborist that I recommended <laughs> didn't even do the whole sick tree treatment. He just did a portion of it. So I just wanted to emphasize I, how I'm glad you important did. it is. Uh, we just all need to be reminded of that, me included. And, uh, yeah, it's it's the whole program because, like you say, it's energistic. You know, the the combination of the different things you do, you know, works so much better to solve the problem and prevent things in the future. So a uh, very, 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 very well taken point. Yes, sir. We'll talk about more next time. It's on DirtDoctor.com. If you look at the home page, the button, it says Guides in capital letters. All my formulas and all the programs are right under there. It sounds a little complicated, but it's not. It's just kind of a glorified uh, version of the natural program. Well, uh, back back to the, uh, to the park, I hope that part of uh, what you're doing with them and with the city in general is going to include some good signage to let people know um, you know, so many different things that, you know, Hey, it's safe for your kids to play in this park because, and things look this way because, because, uh, you know, le- you know, leading by example is, is by far the most effective way to teach people something. And, uh, I, I hope that this can turn into something really, really good, uh, as far as spreading the word. Denton's not a small town and you've got the no. North Texas State University up there. You got a lot of kids up there who are going to be the leaders of the future. And, oh, what a great opportunity. My, my congratulations to you on that. That, that's the best news I've heard in a while. Well, so far so good, but it goes with what you were saying perfectly, talking to the superintendent, who is the person we're working with the closest. As we ended the meeting, we had a conversation about Roundup, and he asked me, and he was sincere. He said, is Roundup really dangerous? I mean, he really didn't understand that that it is dangerous, and he really doesn't understand exactly what we're doing, just like you were talking earlier uh, and so signage about what that it is organic and also uh, documentation that's real simple to read and understand about why we're doing what we're doing is is important as well. And hopefully we'll, we'll get to include that in the program. Well, and, and something uh, next time I come across it in my notes, I, I'll print you two or three copies of the journal uh, article Entropy. And this is from three, four years ago. And it's like 34 pages of detailed medical technical reasons of why glyphosate is so bad and why it's tied to all these different disease issues. And uh, to have something in a peer-reviewed journal, I, anybody that questions it, I, I give them the website. I say, hey, you want to see how bad it is? Go read this. You don't have to believe me, but uh, you're saying the science isn't there. And I'm saying, hey, the science has been there for a long time and uh, we, we just have to have to work at spreading that a little bit more let me ask you one question before we totally run out of time had a uh, caller this morning wanting uh, help on germinating maple seed and i know maple seed can be very difficult to germinate but other than just a soaking garret juice do you have any uh do you have any special suggestions or do you have any knowledge about what people can do and this is on the big tooth maple uh, out of uh, Lost Maples Park down here. Yeah, that's a great tree. The thing that I tell people is just to give yourself the best odds and, mm-hmm. and try all the different things. Soaking in garret juice, some cold uh, temperature for a while, 
uh, even a little bit of physical damage, take a little, uh, uh, like a uh, nail mm-hmm. file and scratch the seed a little bit, do all the different uh, forms of uh, stratification there is. <laughs> yeah. And if you do one to one group and another to another group, another to another group, and then the final group, you do everything to it. <laughs> you'll you'll get uh, you'll figure out real quickly what works the best for you. And don't forget to record and put little tags in so you you know what you did to what, so that your results will be something you can repeat in the future. Yeah, the cold and the Garrett juice soaking, uh, which has the vinegar in it, you know, mm-hmm. uh, is probably the most effective. But I would just try all that stuff if you're having trouble getting them to germinate. Growing those trees from from that park would be great because they are fantastic. Oh, it's 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 one of the few relatively long-lived, fairly fast-growing maples. Nice fall color, and um, it does not seem to mind the alkaline soil and all. So yeah, it's oh, it, no. for for a for a bigger maple tree, it's. It's sure my favorite for the area. But, uh, well, I can't tell you how much uh, I enjoy our visits and how happy I am that uh, uh, that you've got a major, major metropolitan area there that's really seeing the light and giving some, you know, some exposure to all this. So sounds like a great thing to build on. And uh, as always, anything we can do to help, let us know. We'll keep you posted. Enjoyed it as always. We'll see everybody next week. Look forward to it, Howard. Thank you so very much. Okay, bye. Mr. Garrett is the Dirt Doctor. DirtDoctor.com, huge website, incredible amount of information out there. And uh, it's just, it's the only place I really recommend people go. I mean, there's so much stuff on the Internet, maybe good for identification purposes. But if you really want to learn about being organic, you really want to see a lot of the things we talk about, really get serious about it. Think about doing the uh, organic certification course, which is uh, just an amazing learning opportunity. But anyway, we appreciate Howard Garrett, the Dirt Doctor, and uh, all the things that he does. Martha is up first. Good morning, Martha. Good morning. Good I morning. need some recommendations for low-growing plants for so, uh, full sun. Okay. And when we say low-growing, how low are we talking? Uh, 10 inches, 12 inches, 2 feet? 10 or under. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And uh, so this is full sun. Do they need to be evergreen, or can some of them be deciduous? They can be deciduous. Okay. Um, things that come to mind for full sun, very low-growing, uh, skull cap, especially uh, now it needs to be the pink or white form. There's lavender form, but it's for the shade. But uh, mm-hmm. skull cap is a great plant that is evergreen, flowers over a long period of time. The hummingbirds absolutely love it. Uh, so that's going to be pretty high up on my list. Uh, there are some herbs that stay very low uh, that you know will make a, a almost a ground cover look, but just not flat on the ground. Um, and, uh, oh gosh, there, um, you know, there's several different ones. Most of the, you need to get the super prostrate form of rosemary. Uh, there are mm-hmm. some of the trailing rosemaries that even though they're the lower form, they get up to two feet, but there are a couple of them like Huntington carpet. And, uh, seems like there's another one called arp that stay very low to the ground. So rosemary is going to be another, uh, very good choice there. Um, the uh, old-fashioned asparagus fern uh it's a beautiful green plant that will take the sun and it stays you know very low and very dense 
um, perennials, other perennials that are going to be that low. Of course, many of your lantanas, uh, not just the trailing lavender and white, but there's several new dwarf lantanas. There's a whole series of them under the bandana, B-A-N-D-A-N-A, is the general group. Uh, one of my favorites uh, out there is called multi-dwarf, and this is one that uh, the many multiple flower colors in there as the flowers uh, age, they change color, and that is a very low-growing plant that loves the sun. Uh, there are two different colors of a plant called bul- bulbine, B-U-L-B-I-N-E, and uh, it's low-growing and loves the sun. There's a beautiful native uh, yellow-flowering perennial with highly aromatic foliage that is called uh, Damianita. Uh, that's mm-hmm. its common name. Its botanical name is Chrysactenia. And that is a low-growing, super-drought-tolerant plant. Um, fo- or, uh, um, oh, golly, there's a green form and a gray form of something called Santalina, S-A-N-T-O, Santalina. Mm-hmm. Uh, be sure it has good drainage. Uh, but it is a beautiful spreading ground-cover-type plant. There are several native sedums. Uh, well, native and some of the other sedums, but there are some that are very cold-hardy that would be very attractive, very low-growing plants. <laughs> How am I doing? I'm, I... You're doing great. <laughs> now, would you like my other question? <laughs> Go, yeah, do that. Uh, what can I spray my peaches with? I, we have grasshoppers, weevils, squash bugs, everything attacking the peaches. Um, for a one-spray-does-all spinosad soap, is going to be one of the best things. Now, the good news on grasshoppers is that the NOLO bait, which was off the market briefly, is back on. Uh, the bad news is that it needs to be used while the grasshoppers are young. Are small. Yeah, but uh, you can get NOLO, and that uh, one-pound container does like an acre or something close to it. And that's going yes, to be the most effective thing against the uh, grasshoppers. But... Uh, other than, as Howard was mentioning just now, the sick tree treatment and all those different parts will certainly help in making your your uh, fruit less susceptible. But if you're looking for a spray that is safe but controls most of the insects that may get on there, this spinosad soap is a real good choice. Better to head okay, them off before I'm they out get some. I'll go get some. <laughs> <laughs> and it does, you know, it, it has for about two or three years, it's been available as in a little hand sprayer. But now if you're going to be doing a lot of spraying this year for the first time, it's available as a concentrate as well. Okay. Thank you very much. and Have a great weekend. You do the same, Martha. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Okay. Uh, Beth is up next. Good morning, Beth. Hello. Um, you know, Thank you for your show. I've learned so much down through the years. Well, I appreciate that. Um, I called about the big tooth maple sprouting. Uh-huh. Um, because um, I have a method I've used um, several times successfully. Oh, good. Tell me about it. if people are interested, I would love to see people propagate these uh, trees more. Uh, me more. too. Me too. I, I mean, I have several of them that are in dry upland sites where they normally wouldn't grow because they can't get through, you know, their sprouting and, and their uh-huh. early childhood in a dry spot. But once they're there with their deep root systems, they do really well. Well, very um, good. Well, so, tell us tell us what your germinating uh, technique is. Yeah, I learned it from somebody at one of those little plant shows years and years ago. Um, and he said, basically, um, collect the samaras. And I usually split a couple of them to make sure that I do have some that are... Um, 
that are viable. Mm-hmm. And, you know, frequently a lot of them aren't. And I feel that by the time I split them, they're not going to survive. So right. if I get a good ratio, I collect some. And I collect um, I collect the, uh, more than I think I need. And um, which one year led to a, a sprouting emergency with about 400 plants. But, <laughs> but usually it worked out a little better. And um, so I put them in damp sphagnum moss. Okay. And I put them in a refrigerator that is int- intended for plants. So okay. that most people's fridges are too cold. Uh-huh. So I have a special little fridge on the front porch that uh, I, I keep around 46 or so okay. before yeah, um, say 45. stratifying. Okay. Yeah, plants that need cold stratification. Uh-huh. And um, so they're in there in their moist. Um, the bags are not sealed. Um, sometimes I, I just leave them kind of open. I sure. don't cut holes in them. Right. And I, it, I, they're there for a few weeks, and at some point I start checking them. And they're easy to spot because they, um, you know, the little seedling is pale. Right. And so it shows up in that brown moss. And when uh, when I start seeing them... I, I I frequently will plant most of them, um, or if I'm rushed for time, I just plant the ones that seem to be imminent in little four-inch pots, but it could be in anything. And um, and the you know, and then there we go. Yeah. So uh, and they typically do really well. Actually, well, stratifying in damp sphagnum uh, at 45 degrees for a few weeks. What normally three to five weeks? Yeah. I mean, I'm watching them the whole time because. Mm-hmm. You know, things vary, you know, depending on the, the temperatures and that they already encountered uh, on the tree and thing. I think that there's a variability, but I, I recall it being, I haven't done it for a few years because I haven't worked my way through the ones that sprouted <laughs> last time. I have uh, an entire cold frame full of fairly good-sized big tooth maples oh, now. Well, good I, I have to find them homes, um, but... Uh, um, but yeah, I mean, I just keep it. I just check them from time to time, so I haven't really recorded a lot of of the time. And it, there's a spread from when the first one starts to when the other one starts. But you're typically planting them out um, really during the winter. Yeah, um, yeah. Because I I collect them in um, October, November, thereabouts. And I've noticed that even if at that time, if some of them are, and I pull them off the tree, I don't pick them up sure, off the ground. Sure. And um, that gives you and more. I pull them from trees that I know have gotten a little extra support most years. Well, so that like is Hebner oaks and Hebner. There's uh, some on the Esplanade. On yeah, yeah. Well, that yeah, is so most I... useful information. I do thank you for sharing. I will make a note and tell folks in the future. All right, let's get back to gardening, and uh, we're going to talk to Virginia and Omar. And Virginia's up first. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I'm trying to be quick about this. Uh, I have millipedes or wireworms or something in the soil, and I, I don't want to get stung by a millipede. I don't know how to treat that. The other thing is I had, my neighbor has a flower bed she hasn't used in a long time, and I want to know how to soften the soil. Okay. Well, first of all, on the millipedes, they don't sting. So don't worry about that. They don't, uh, uh, you know, centipedes, actually, they bite you rather than sting you. But the millipedes are totally harmless, but they are a Uh real nuisance. And I usually use uh, 
uh, diatomaceous earth anywhere I'm having a bunch of them. I just vacuum them up when they come crawling under the door, and I vacuum up off my porch. But uh, once things have dried off in the morning, just dusting some DE around really, really will reduce their numbers, and um, that's what I would suggest there. Um, As far as revitalizing a flower bed that's kind of been fallow for a while, uh, just compost. Man, if there was any one thing I would suggest doing is putting about an inch, inch and a half of compost on the surface of the soil, water it regularly for two, three weeks, and I think you find the soil underneath just gets so much more mellow, so much looser. And then, of course, I'd add the, you know, a little bit of good organic fertilizer when I'm getting ready to plant. But uh, the greatest, you know, natural weed destroyer and soil remediator that I know of is compost for getting that bed back in good shape. Okay. Uh, has to grow it and help soften it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. In fact, it uh, has to grow and add a little bit of extra molasses to it to make it work even better. Oh, that sounds good. And any easy okay thank you very much it's good to talk to you and thank you (laughs) bye all right we finish up with her friend omar good morning sir how are you today morning bob pretty good about yourself uh just uh loving you know he started out today with a good rain and uh it's life is good what can i say it's hot but it's texas and uh that's the way it's gonna be it, it is hot and windy and we're running low on rain water so we need a rain (laughs) yes sir (laughs) Um, <clears throat> bobcat variety of tomato, intervenal chlorosis of the leaf. It turns kind of a rusty appearance and then dries and dies out, of course. But what, what, what do you think that is? I suspect it is one of the uh, different uh, diseases. It actually could be fusarium. Um, bobcat, I just, I tried that when it first came out, and I didn't have a lot of luck with it. Uh, I would spray, I'd probably spray with some hydrogen peroxide. I would, uh, feed pretty heavily. It, um, you know, the, that, that is a tomato that really loves its nutrition, but, uh, I, yeah, I, I would do a peroxide spray on there and then, uh, uh, see how the new growth looks. If anything's going to knock the disease problem out and, and stimulate some new growth, that's what I'd be using. Okay, just a three uh, percent uh, foliar application of, of yeah, diluted two process. two to one with water, and just okay. spray so early in the day or late in the day, and let me know how that works for you. Gotcha. It uh, the the plant the variety I've had really, really good luck. We get a lot of large fruit. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's really producing. It's uh, it's producing a bunch of bunch of tomatoes. Uh, my other question: I <clears throat> stumbling around containers the other day and came across one that I can't really read the label. I, there's enough label there for me to tell that it is plant wash, but I have no idea how old it is. What do you think? <laughs> of, <laughs> I you know, so far as I know, that stuff keeps indefinitely. Um, it was, of course, developed as a leaf cleaner, so to speak, but turns out to be an excellent antifungal product. So I uh, wish it was oh. still around. You oh, might, you anymore. might, uh, no, no, it's not out there anymore. You might try that on your tomatoes. Uh, again, I do it early or late, but that'd be a great thing if you've got some old plant wash. Yeah, yeah, I sure do. Okay. Well, fantastic. Well, let it rain and, uh. And we'll see how it goes. Ah, very good, Omar. It's always good to talk to you. Thank you, sir. You too. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.